Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN with Kerry Davis, Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jewelers. CD, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. It was a good night for some of the teams in the area. Not so good night for other teams. Yeah. You like the number seven? I do. Yeah, well, nah. not today. No. <laughs> I mean, I like the number seven in, in general, seven but not. Yeah, I thought Matt Holiday. Bowl, you, we were talking about Matt Holiday yeah. yesterday. You know, there's a lot of things that come with said lucky number seven. Uh-huh. Maybe not in all cases. <laughs> maybe some cases it's unlucky. But number seven, generally speaking, is a pretty good number. I, you I, you I, go to crab, you play dice at the at the casino, you roll craps. You, seven is a good number. Yeah, the blues. If you roll it. Blues. They just uh, they, won they, against if you the. Roll it the first time. If you roll yeah, it the first, first time, that's it. That, yeah, nah, that's what we're talking about. Blues beating. Just Dallas. keep rolling it's it the like first one, time. It's like one tenth of the game, <laughs> Carrie. Just keep rolling it. <laughs> wasn't it? Let's see. Wasn't it? Uh, Pat Maroon, it, number seven in game seven against the the Stars. So that's. That's a good there thing about go. number seven. Cardinals win the World Series in 2011 in seven games. Are we going to be Sunshine Lollipops today? We are. I am. I am. Yeah. I, I made a decision last night that I would be Sunshine I like Lollipops that. today. I, I would not get into the negativity that is going to be on these airwaves, that's going to be on these text threads, on these mic drops. I will not. I will not. I won't be a part of it. We are putting a positive spin on the number seven. Today's show brought to you by the number seven. (laughs) You know what what that is, Randy? That's that's the sound of a man who just got his afternoons back. (laughs) There you go. Everything is all good uh, me. (laughs) Darren Pang is going to join us in a few minutes to talk about the Blues. Seven-game losing streak. Mike Claiborne coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Jason Bell, who is the Astros' director of fundamentals and a St. Louis guy, will join us, the new world champion. So a lot coming your way here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. But let us start with your St. Louis Blues because last night they went to Boston and actually turned in a representative couple of periods. In the first period, on the power play, Jake DeBrusque scored for Boston. It was 1-0, but the Blues came back in the second. And they've got a 3-on-3, now a 4-on-3 if they boogie. Up the ice, Krug into the middle. Shin, far wing. Back door to Shin, he scores! There's your boogie. Braden Shin ties the game 1-1, 8.23 to go, period number two. 
So we are tied 1-1 the third period, and you're feeling pretty good, right? But yes. the Blues put Boston on another power play. It was their second of the night. You'd already heard that they'd scored on their uh, first uh, from Jake DeBrusque, and this was their second. Marchand, they get it to Creechy. Shoots it, Shen blocks it to Marchand. Into the slot, it goes to Bergeron, he scores! In the slot, a power play goal. 2-1 to one Boston, 7.15 to go in the third period. And then Trent Frederick scored for Boston at the 16-28 mark, and 3-1 was the final as the Blues fall to Boston and lose their seventh in a row. Here's head coach Craig Berube. Well, I, first two periods, like, I mean, I think the second period was a really good period. Got back in the game, you know, I think third period we didn't come out with enough urgency. Like, you know, we seemed like we are in our end too much, and we got to be better in the penalty kill and the power play. We had three power plays in the first period. Didn't get a lot accomplished, and... They scored two power play goals. Yeah, it was the the lack of power play production in the first period was devastating. Yeah, they talked about it. John Kelly and Panger spoke about it when it was taking place. If you go 0 for 3 on the power play, uh, it's not going to bode well for you. And then the first power play that the Bruins had, they scored on. So you know, it, it's not, it's not, it's not. It, it wasn't. A, it wasn't great. But there were some very good things that took place last night. Uh, we were talking about Jordan Cairo and just his 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 play all season. I, it was a great give and go between him and Shin. Got the puck from Shin, gave it right back to him. The right play to make, the right decision to make, and Shin was able to score the goal. And you look at that and you say, when you watch them, when they huddled up, when they were congratulating each other, they were waiting on Cairo. He was the last one there, and they were really proud yeah. of that moment that he understood that this is the way to play hockey. That's the good Kairou. Then I talked to you about a play on the boards where he was just standing there poking with his stick. Had he moved his feet 6 to 12 inches, a foot, a half a foot, he'd have been in the play, but he's just kind of poking at it and not really interested in, in being involved in that play. That's the bad Kairou. And there, there's, there are, he's a young guy, right? Mm-hmm. We, we look at the contract that he got and we expect you know, you expect someone to be playing at that level of the money that he's going to make. As as Army said, he's playing like a $2.9 million player right now, which that's what he's making. <laughs> that's what he's making. When next season, if he's playing this way, then we're going to have a problem. But there are – I can tell just by the, the energy that was given to him after the assist, they are on him constantly. And they are, they are expecting – him to do a lot of things and be be as great as they know he can be, and it becomes frustrating when you are when you are a talented player, when you are around a talented player that just doesn't always get it at all times. He's going to figure it out. He's starting to show progression in some of the aspects that I'm sure that they are really harping on him. And by them, I mean his teammates. Mm-hmm. Like his teammates are on him daily. I'm sure because they need it. And so you're seeing some of it. You just have you're gonna have to you're gonna have to ride this way because it's gonna be a it's gonna be some time. He has some bad habits that he has to break. This feels like it's getting away from the Blues. They still have 72 games left, so it's not away Randy. from them left. But Randy. here's the thing: they they need to have a run like they had in February of 2019 when they won the 11 in a row. You don't you don't have to win 11 in a row, but to get back into this thing now, they're gonna have to have a 10 game stretch where they've just played 10 where they win three and seven. They're gonna have a, have to have a 10 game stretch where they go eight and two. Yeah. To, to make it right, at yeah. least seven and three. Right, I mean, just right. to start making that, things. That gets you back to 500. Yes, just to start <laughs> making things right and make them feel right. And right now, it, it's, you know, I, I said I was going to be Sunshine Lollipops, and I'm going to try my best. I mean, seven games in a row is a tough, tough deal to be, uh, have a positive mindset and look at it as, as, as what can be because you're seeing what it is. 
I'm hoping that eventually. I think yesterday wasn't as bad. I mean, you you lost to to a ten and two team. They were they were playing outstanding, and you were you were in that game until the third period, late into the third period. They are not as bad as they have been, but they still got a lot of things that they have to clean up. CD, I'm going to go sunshine lollipops. Okay, you? all right. Let me. I read. used to root for a football team that started zero and seven. Hey, yeah, yeah. yeah that team was, it's a lot worse. It's a lot I mean, worse. Hey, this is nothing. Nothing. It'd be going to be equivalent of 0 and 41, I guess. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's like half. It's uh, like less, 30, less it's more than, like 0 and like no. 36, I guess. Yeah. The, the, well, no, no, no. It's, 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 it's close. Yep. Close. Yeah. <laughs> College basketball last night over at Chaffetz Arena. Great start for St. Louis University. They hammered Murray State 91 to 68. 23rd-ranked Illinois, winner over Eastern Illinois, 87-57. Mizzou knocks off Southern Indiana, 97-91. And our Lindenwood Lions uh, lost to Dayton by about 15, right? Dayton's really good uh, is the thing. And um, their their star player poured in, I think, 30 right off the the bat to start his season. So so that was good. I'm not sure what Mizzou's... Good for Dayton. Yeah, I'm not sure what what Mizzou's doing letting them 91 points, but that's that's another thing. Oh, don't worry about Mizzou. They'll be fine. Well, ah. Yeah, that, yeah. historically, Versus my, Southern my, Indiana. I've been taught not to worry about Mizzou. It, it keeps your blood pressure down. Like it, stress they'll, levels. They'll have a, I'm sure they have UMKC, that win, <laughs> coming up on their schedule. <laughs> it's right around No, don't you! <laughs> that was uncalled for. I don't care how accurate it was. It's still uncalled for. Jackson's going to come storming down the hallway in a moment. Monday Night Football, the Ravens keep rolling. They took care of the Saints 27-13. First quarter, Lamar through the air. Jackson looking to throw. He does. He's got it. Touchdown, Ravens. The rookie likely. Joe Buck the call on ESPN. Of course, Isaiah likely playing because Mark Andrews is hurt, and the Ravens still win. And CD, the Ravens now have a bye. Then they get Carolina. On November 20th. On November 27th, they're at Jacksonville. Then they have Denver at home on December 4th. They're at your Steelers on December 11th. At Cleveland on December 18th. The Falcons at home on December 24th. Your Steelers again at home against uh, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh and Baltimore on January 1st. And then January 8th at Cincinnati. Baltimore has a really good chance to finish with four or five losses this season. Yeah, I mean... you just ran down that schedule. They should they should probably win at least six of those seven games. I mean, you Panthers, Jaguars, Broncos. You would figure that those are wins. At the Steelers, the Steelers are playing terrible. That's a that should be a win. The Browns are uh, Deshaun Watson should be back by that point. Yes, so will. they will be they will be a little bit different. But I still think overall they have an opportunity to win that game. And then the Falcons and the Steelers again. So I mean, it should be a it should be an opportunity for them to to run. At least six or seven wins in a row. And they're getting better and healthier, right? They've got Ronnie Stanley back. They go trade for Rokon Smith. They're getting their cornerbacks back to where they were before Humphrey and Peters. They need to get their running back. And Kenyon Drake has done a great job for them, but Dobbins will be back at some point. Their big issue is at wide receiver. Deshaun Jackson is there now. They trade Hollywood Brown. They lose Bateman, their first-round draft choice from last year. So they don't really have any threats outside. That's their biggest issue. They they don't have any threats anywhere. Mark uh, um, without Andrews and Mark Andrews being hurt as well is is also a a big thing for them. He only threw for 133 yards, 131, 133 yards last night, which is un Lamar like, uh, um, and one touchdown. They, 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 they. That's going to be their Achilles heel. Not having a number one receiver to go to to throw to. 
Mark Andrews is wonderful at tight end, but you still need someone else on the outside, as you said, to be able to stretch the defense and 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 make it tough on opposing defenses. And right now, they don't they don't have that, and they haven't had that that number one receiver. I don't feel like since Lamar has been there. No, they, they've been I'm looking for that one guy, and for whatever reason, there's a guy out there though, Randy. He's 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 still hurt. He's he's Odell? he's available in That'd a couple in about a month or so. That'd be very interesting. And, and if you can get Odell, then your whole philosophy changes for how you yeah. have to defend that team. Right. One other quick note, by the way, and Joe Buck made this note late in last night's telecast. The Ravens are in a stretch here. They played the Thursday night game against Tampa last week, and then the Monday night game. They're in a stretch where they play one game in 23 days. That's wonderful for the body, Randy. <laughs> I would think so, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, so, that's awesome. So you, you had last night's game, <laughs> and now you have the bye, and you don't play again until November 20th. That's awesome for the body. It is amazing <laughs> how much rest you can get in that amount of time. A trade yesterday for St. Louis City SC. They traded, and let me make sure I get this right. Did they trade Azeel Jackson? They traded four, four, they traded four two players. Four two players, yes. but they traded him no. for you know, they traded, they traded Azeel Jackson. For, they, they traded for Azeel Jackson from Minnesota okay. United and for um, Jared Stroud from Austin FC. Okay, great. So they get a couple of uh, players. Uh, they also got – who'd they get from Minnesota United? No, they tra- they got Azeel Jackson from Minnesota United. Got it. Excuse me. Okay. And good. then I'll tell you this right now, Minnesota United Stroud. fans are – Pretty ticked off about that that trade. Okay. He's, he's a young he's a young star from the MLS next. He led led the league in key passes, and the fans are just like, why are we giving up this guy for one hundred five thousand dollars in guaranteed allocated general allocate, allocation money? They were they were pretty ticked off about it. So it's a good young move. Again, the expansion draft's coming up on Friday, so they're filling out the roster. I like it. That is Matthew. That is Kerry. I'm Randy. Coming up, Darren Pang will join us to talk about seven here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. With Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis, I'm Randy Carricker, and the St. Louis Blues continue their trip tonight in Philadelphia. They'll take on the Flyers and try to snap their seven-game losing streak. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and Darren Pang joins us every single Tuesday morning, wherever he might be here on 101 ESPN. And today, he's making his way across the country. Good morning, Panger. How you doing? I'm doing great, you guys. How are you doing this morning? Everything's good here. We are uh, we, we're jokingly saying that today is brought to you by the number seven. The number seven would be a bad number right now. <laughs> it is. It is not good. It is not good. Hey, what did you see, though, last night? Anything that uh, should make us feel better about the number seven today? Yeah, well, well, I mean, you know, when, you're, when you are losing and, and things aren't going your way, whether it's from lack of effort or lack of strategy or, you know, the technical stuff, I think – you find a way to lose. Like that was a good hockey game in the second period. I think, you know, I think everybody in Boston were up in the press box, and you know, after the first period, the question was, boy, where are the Blue Lakes? You know, what, where, where, where's their game? Where's their energy? And uh, Boston was all over them. And so, you know, now you start the, the second period, and there's a complete turnaround. So now you walk through the press box, and I'm talking to their, you know, the Bruins broadcasters and, and guys that haven't seen the Blues, and they're like, okay, there's the Blues. You know, so they. The Evans closed the game last night, and then 
you know, and then you start the third period and you sit back on your heels because you're just afraid to make a mistake. And they didn't do that in the second period. So, what, you know, what, what I take out of it is, is, um, is a small climb, uh, and that would have been the second period, the way that just the way that they played and the way they competed and battled on pucks and played really hard. So, uh, but again, you know, when things aren't, you know, when, let's face it, when you're, when you're winning all the little things, you just do it with ease. And when you're, when you're losing, you just find other ways to end up losing. So that's the toughest part right there. Hey, Pangor, it seemed as though Jordan Cairo got the assist early, um, and that, that seemed to energize the team and get those guys going. And then you see some plays where maybe he's not moving his feet well enough. Is this just a, the part of being a younger play, player and learning how to play the game the right way and, and getting rid of some of the bad habits that he has? Yeah, you know what, that's a tough one, Kerry. I think that, uh, I, I think that um, he's, a, he's a gifted player, as we know. And, and when he does things, uh, when he does things and 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 makes you know when he gets the puck and he grabs it and he goes and makes it look you know rather effortless to be honest with you. And I thought late in the game, you know, when the game was on the line, the puck stayed on his stick and he, you know, he turned around instead of looking for somebody else uh, to make a you know to make a play carry. He ends up you know firing it himself and putting the puck at the net and and the puck stuck to his stick. So that that's just effort and that's just being tenacious on the puck. Um, there were some times during the game where it's it's like just move the puck to the guy in front of you. And, and when you do that, you're going to look faster. And, and that's just the simplicities of hockey. So, yeah, there's a lot of learning curves that are certainly uh, certainly going on with him. And um, I like what he said after the game about, just you know, the, when, you, when you're in something like this, you, you have to work harder. And, and I think working harder is, is that in every area of the ice. It's, a, it's, you know, it's along the boards when your teammates put a puck, you know, in, in the corner and they're expecting you to go in there and battle that for that puck and not lose the puck. And, and, and sometimes that doesn't happen, so it breaks up the whole momentum of a shift. But when it does go well, and he is tenacious on the puck, then obviously, you know, we, we, we know what he can do and what he's capable of doing. We saw that last year. Darren Pang with us on 101 ESPN. And Panger, at various times, Ken Hitchcock would talk about Alexander Steen and say he's the conscience of our team. He plays both ends of the ice. He plays with such tenacity. He he plays with such leadership. Hitch also said that about a guy that you're going to see tonight in Jaden Schwartz, who who does the things, the little things that you need to do to win games at both ends of the ice. Who would you say, and you've been around this team, is the conscience of the Blues right now? Just of the Blues right now would be Braden Shen for me. I, I mean, it, it's always been, you know, I mean, Ryan O'Reilly has that and certainly he's part of it. But I, I, I think that just the way that, that Braden Shen, like last night's a great example. I mean, that's a 200-foot game that he played. I talked to him in the morning. He was really excited about getting back to center. You know, we talked an awful lot about, I mean, that's what we did in our open on Valley Sports was the centerized position going O'Reilly and Thomas and Shen and then Achari. That, that's, that's really solid. And, but I thought more than anybody else, I thought that Braden Shen was the best player on the ice. And I thought he did it by leading by example. He did it by saying to the boys, here, follow me, here I go. Um, a lot of the attributes that Alexander Steen always brought to the table. Hey, hey, Panger, you all, you and J.K. were talking about it yesterday, the special teams. They went 0 for 3 in the first uh, three power yeah. plays and then gave up a goal on their first penalty kill. What did you see in that time frame and, and what needs to change? Uh, because that, that, that essentially, you all were saying it, not scoring on those power plays is going to haunt them, and it eventually did. Yeah, you, uh, you know, when you're given those opportunities right off the hop on the road, Kerry, I mean, it just doesn't happen very often. But the other part of it is, on the flip side, it was almost a detriment to them. I mean, they wanted to establish that, you know, four really good centermen 
four lines. They wanted to they wanted to be a, a team that was going to, you know, basically put a lot of pressure on on Boston. And then sure enough, the special teams come into play. And you know, when it's not going, then it's it's just it just reeks of of, uh, of losing momentum. I mean, you could feel it in the building. Like Boston, their penalty kill was phenomenal. And whether or not you know Jim Montgomery. I mean, he knows what's under the door, door number one, two, and three with the, with the Blues power play with his experiences here, and he's a great penalty kill coach as well. But they seem to know, and they seem to be ahead of every little play that the Blues were making on the power play. Boston was one step ahead, and I was pretty impressed with that part, and I wasn't impressed with the Blues power play for sure. It was just... It just lost the momentum in the first period when you needed to gain momentum. Panger, last thing for me, this is obviously a hard league, and the Blues' schedule coming up is is not favorable. After the game against San Jose, you got Philly tonight, San Jose here, and then you go on a tough three-game trip. What's your confidence level in the Blues being able to fix this thing? Yeah, well, I am confident in, in, in the Blues. Um, I am because I think they, they saw, if they looked in the mirror of the second period, they saw what it takes, and it was the first game back with, with their entire roster other than game number one, and it takes a little bit of time. It, it took it took Brandon Saad a little bit of time last night, but once he got his legs going in that second period, I thought he was a really good player. Um, you know, I think Butchnevich is still fine in his way, but then as the game went on, he had a couple of just incredible scoring chances, cutting in off the right side, cutting back to the middle. So um, I'm, I'm very confident, but I also believe that it is in any situations – you don't look at the big picture down the road. You have to break this into five-game segments right now. And, you know, I, I know this is looking on the positive, but it, it starts – I thought it started last night. That's game one of five, and that's minus one. Now you go into Philly, you try to even that up to go one and one, and then just worry about five-game segments and climb back into the – you know, back into the race. And, and just start feeling good about yourself. You know, just um, – you, you're not going to climb into first place in a week. That's not going to happen. But but you've got to – you've got to – basically just start plowing away and and so i i feel like they can go into philly tonight it's a place where they, they they've had success before i'm not sure if they're going to go with bennington in the, in this game but if i i think that if i were bennington us broadcasters were talking about it if i were bennington i'd go into the the door of craig ruby and say i want the ball again and then i'd say i want the ball again um and and i think he deserves to be the goaltender that gets the next win and get things rolling here for the Blues. Hey, Panger, it seemed like last night they were just a little bit sloppy with the puck at times. Is that just a system of a symptom of the team that they're facing, or is it just them not taking care of the puck uh, when it's on their sticks? Well, we have to remember that the, the Boston Bruins are the best team in the league right now. Yeah. So, I mean, they're they're as confident as anybody. I mean, they they felt like they played a horrible game two nights before last night, and they lost two to one in Toronto. So, I mean, they're rolling right now. So, um, I thought they're 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 you know, I thought they forced the Blues to, to, to be in bad spots. But at the same time, Kerry, yes, you know, the standards of the Blues are still very, very high. So, yes, would they be um, disappointed in that first period? Absolutely. Were they lucky to get out of that that first period the way they were, just one nothing? Thanks to the goalie, that's all it was. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm disappointed that they couldn't finish it off and, and get it to at least overtime and get a point because even when they gave up the goal to make it 2-1, to one, you know, to give up the, the Frederick, Trent Frederick goal, and, you know, after all the hard work that Bennington had put in and the grind that the team had put in, I mean, that, that's just one that you just, you know, you're giving the game away right there where there's still plenty of time left on the clock. Panger, as you make your way to Seattle for tonight's TNT game, the Kraken, uh, I want to tell you, I learned this from a Patriots, a New England Patriots schedule a couple of years ago. From where you are right now, you're still in Boston, right? 
I'm in Boston. I'm just getting on the plane. And I'm, I'm actually going to um, TNT's got a. Uh, it's a little confusing because they've got a Tuesday night game tonight. But I'm actually doing the the normal Wednesday night game tomorrow in Anaheim. Okay, so just to good. clarify that. So I'm, I'm getting on a, a plane right now, going uh, going to uh, LAX, and then I'll uh, then I'll be in Anaheim. So I'll be there in time to watch our game. Um, but uh, not not I wasn't able to go to Philly and then fly the day of the game uh, to do it for TNT on Wednesday. So that's why I'm missing the game. Jamie Rivers will be filling in uh, for me for tonight and, and then Thursday against San Jose. Love it. I just wanted to tell you that you could fly to London quicker than you could to Anaheim. <laughs> oh my goodness, I know. You're, I, I was I was thinking the same thing. I could I could be go, I could be teeing them up in Scotland uh, in the same amount of time. <laughs> exactly. Panger, safe travels, and we'll be tuned in tomorrow night. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Have a good day. You too. That is Darren Pang, Blues Analyst on Bally Sports with us on 101 ESPN. Always gives us some good stuff. Coming up, the Indianapolis Colts have a new coach, and it's a surprise. Jeff Saturday of ESPN. I want to get Kerry Davis's take on that next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Well, that used to be a song on ESPN that you brought Jeff Saturday into the conversation with. But now he is the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Yesterday, they fired their head coach, Frank Reich, and they brought in Jeff Saturday, who was doing media and coaching high school football. Kerry Davis is doing media and coaching high school football. Yeah. You can be a coach in the NFL. Clearly. Head coach. Clearly. That, that's the, the, the requirements uh, to be a head coach. And... You know, it's it's funny, but it's not. I, I think one thing I learned at the at the great University of Illinois is life is about relationships. One of my great professors, Michael Raycraft, Dr. Michael Raycraft, told us you should be polite and respectful to everyone you meet because you never know who you're talking to or who, the person you're sitting next to may be the, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company that you want to get a job from in 10 years. You, you, you never know, 20 years. You never know. So be respectful. And, and in life... Jobs generally are, are people are hired based on the relationships that they have. And so you, you we talk about the, the lack of black head coaches in the NFL and in college football. And that's basically based off of relationships. The reason Jeff Saturday got that job is because of his relationship with Jim Ursay. It has nothing to do with X's and O's, clearly, because he's not been a head coach mm-hmm. at the collegiate level or the NFL level. It's not, nothing to do with, you know, his game plan or, or, or whether or not he's a leader of men because he, he, he has not done that at that level. So what it's based on is how comfortable Jim Ursay feels with Jeff Saturday. And, and when you look at that that's why he hired him. And when you look at the landscape of college coaches, when you look at the landscape landscape of, of NFL coaches, it's basically it's based off of relationships and the people that they feel most comfortable with. And we talk about sham interviews with with the with the Rooney Rule, and you know, uh, Lovey Smith got hired after they were going to hire uh, McNown. I don't remember if it was Josh or Luke. They were going to hire mm-hmm. one of them. And he was the same situation as Jeff Saturday. Not on an interim basis. He was going to be their head coach and had not coached at the collegiate or the NFL level. And so... When you when you try to figure all of those things out, it's based off of relationships. And it's it's being in those rooms with those people and but but more so Randy, being allowed to be in those rooms with those people because you hire people that you, you're you're comfortable with and that you know. And if you don't get comfortable or know people 
of different colors or different ethnicities or different races, then you're never going to hire those people because you don't know them and you're not, you're not comfortable enough with them. ESPN's Adam Schefter on his co-worker getting the job as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Jim Ursay decided to turn to Jeff Saturday, who was a consultant for the team anyway, who is in the team's ring of honor, who was back in Indianapolis two weekends ago for the ring of honor induction ceremony for his former teammate, Tariq Glenn. I think that they felt like they wanted to get back to somebody who was more comfortable, even though he has no prior college or head coaching experience. And so they made the surprising and unexpected move of firing Frank Reich and hiring Jeff Saturday, who now takes over a team where there's not an experienced play caller, where they don't know who will be calling plays on Sunday. And oh, by the way, they will be playing on Sunday. Josh McDaniels of the Las Vegas Raiders, who started this cycle when he essentially opted out of the job that he agreed to take as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He said it. He said the word, comfortable. Mm-hmm. He, 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 he said it unknowingly, probably. Comfortable is the, is the word that he said, and that was the reason why they decided to go in that route. You know who they have on that staff, uh, Randy? They have, they have Gus Bradley, mm-hmm. who, who's been a head coach. Yep. They have Reggie Wayne, mm-hmm. who is also in the ring of honor, I believe, and won a Super Bowl with the with the Indianapolis Colts. Has more coaching experience. Has most, than... co- more, more coaching experience. You know who else they have on that staff? Kano June, who was also a linebacker on that st- on that on that team that won the Super Bowl and has been coaching for twelve years. Kano has coached at Bowling Green. He has coached at at um, uh, where did he go after that? I've I've stayed in touch with Kano. He he's he's the linebackers coach. They have coaches on that staff that are actually coaching. And by the way, for an interim, John Fox has coached in a Super Bowl. He's on that staff, too. He's on the staff as well. Yeah, 40 years coaching experience for John Fox. 12 years coaching experience for for Cato June. 17 years for Scotty Montgomery, who has been been in, in a ton of places. Like, there are there are a number of men, and the frustrating part is what Schefter said. He was just in Indianapolis two weeks ago. These men are there every day. Right, right. They are there every single that is a that is a slap in the face to Big the time. men on that staff. That is a slap in the face to to the amount of work that they've put in. They've had a, a, a the OC got fired. Now you fire the head coach. And now all of those men, you know what they're doing Monday through Friday? They're not game planning for for whoever they play on Sunday. They're looking for jobs, yeah. Randy. They're looking for other opportunities to figure out where they're going to spend the well, next 4 to 5 years of their life because they don't trust that they can be in Indianapolis based on what they what what their owner just did yesterday. Clearly their owner doesn't respect them, no. right? Right. Here is Jimmy Ursay, the co- the owner of the Colts on this decision. He has tons of experience. He knows this game inside and out um, with relationships with coaches and players. Um, uh, and, and it's been a consultant for us for several years, a paid consultant, um, you know, uh, informing Chris and I and other people in the organization, you know, his opinions. Uh, so to me, um, uh, you know, I, I know people can, you know, look out and, and, and see it uh, and, and ask that question. But, um, you know, th- you know that, that doesn't surprise me. I understand. Look at I don't know how to make sausage. I don't know what goes into sausage. But I do know how to build a football team because I've been around for 52 years. Do you? you? I think Bill Polian knew how to build mm-hmm. a football team. 
I think Bill Polian did an outstanding job of building a football team. You know who else is on that staff, Randy? Who? Kevin Mawai. Hall of Fame offensive lineman Kevin Mawai. You're telling me if I'm Kevin Mawai, you're going to bring in Jeff Saturday, and he's the one that's going to get this offensive line together? And he – excuse me? I'm sitting right – Randy, as a – this is the thing. These men have pride. Some of them have egos. Some of them have large egos. Some of them are are going to – it is going to be very bad this weekend mm-hmm. because you have a coach coming in. Now he's going to tell everyone what their jobs is, what they're supposed to do on Sunday, and he hasn't been there every single day grinding throughout the season. These men have put in time, hours, days, sleepless nights, countless times missing with their family, and now this guy's coming in. And, and, and this is no knock against Jeff Saturday. This is not his fault. This is something that was was placed in his lap, and and as he should, he should have taken it because it, you don't. You, there's only one of thirty two. There's only thirty two mm-hmm. jobs in the entire world like this, so you have to take that job. But you cannot tell me if you are one of those men on that staff that you feel wonderful about the hiring of him, and you're going to sit in a meeting and be okay with what he's telling you. And let's extend it one more, uh, one more foot here. Because Jeff Saturday today is going to have to stand before those players. And those players are going to say, dude, you were coaching high school last week. You have not been here. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of eye rolling in his first meeting today. I guarantee it. It, and and he knows full well what that means because he has he, he's he was talking about Terry Glenn and the teammate that he was there. Schefter was just talking about he was in that Ring of Honor. He was there a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Terry Glenn, I watched him throw his helmet to the offensive line coach. Said, "No, nah, you do it. I'm not doing nothing else for the rest of the day." And sat down. I'm a rookie. I've never seen this. So you're telling me he's why he knows what professional he had a whole argument. They've been showing this argument with him and Peyton on the sideline. Oh, he's gonna be great. He stood up to Peyton, man. That doesn't mean anything. They're teammates. And he's gonna have to have those same conversations with men who do not know him, maybe do not respect him, and don't care about his position because every man on that roster, every man on that coaching staff is playing for self right now. They're doing what is in my best interest to make sure that I have a job here next year or I put enough film out there to have a good job next year. I don't care about what's going on in this moment. That's what that's what this just did. Can I make one other quick point here? It was Jim Ursay last night in the press conference when asked who the quarterback was going to be. He said, oh, we're still starting Sam Ellinger. It's not going to be Matt Ryan. So Jeff Saturday doesn't even make that decision. You, you brought him in to, to be, a, to be the, the voice of what you want. And that's probably why he brought him in, because he can tell him, hey, this is what I want. And it's a bad situation for Jeff Saturday. I, I believe yeah. you, you you have to take it, but it's not a great job. Like, you were all asking me, Houston Texans are, no. No, mm-hmm. it's not a good job. And, and that sounds crazy. Yeah, because it, it's not. There are places where you can go, and you know you're only going to be there for six months, because you're going to be fired at the end of the season. And so it, it that, that, to me... He's going to be the interim coach. He probably won't be the head coach next year. It's going to be a. It's going to be a. It's a disaster. And maybe they did it on purpose. Maybe they're trying to get everyone to fold and, you know, end up with the the one of the top picks in the draft. Who knows? But to me, this was a terrible decision, and it's only going to go. It's going to go from bad to worse. CD Matthew Randy coming up next on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. Take it or leave it. Coming your way. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 
ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 65780 and give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line with Carrie Davis and Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker, and it's time for Take It or Leave It CD. We talked about Jeff Saturday. We get word that the NBA is pressuring the Nets to not hire former Celtics coach Ime Odoka after they fired Steve Nash last week, and it was reported by Adrian Morjanowski that he was Odoka was going to be hired within 48 hours. Take it or leave it. We give sports people too much credit for being smart. Take it. There are, listen, Randy, there are some really dumb people in sports. I mean, like, like barely can hold a conversation dumb. Like, not, not intelligent in, in any way possible. Not intelligent as football coaches. There are a lot of—this will shock some people out there. There are some coaches that are so bad that it is amazing that they actually have a job and continue to get jobs. And that they can live on a day-to-day basis, that they can just allow themselves to get by on a day-to-day level. They don't know. They don't know that they don't. It it is absolutely amazing. There are a lot of And by the way, front office people, too. And owners. Oh, yes. Owners that fell into it. Yes. Hey, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Right. (laughs) Some of those people are are definitely that way. Um, So far during the season, there have been two head coaches fired, uh, Frank Reich and um, Matt Rule Mm -hmm. from the Carolina Panthers. Take it or leave it. It's week 10. Take it or leave it. We will have another head coach fired within the next three to four weeks. Oh, that's a great one. And... Boy, it changes so much. I would. I, I'm going to leave that because I don't think Lovey is going anywhere. You know, Dan Campbell isn't going anywhere. McDaniel's in his first year. Eberflus in his first year. Doug Peterson in his first. Okay, I'm going to change. <laughs> Who did Kings, you run it to? Oh, there it is. Cliff okay, Kingsbury. so I'm going to take it. I have. I have a couple. Okay. And 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 I, I I hate it for him because I think he's a great man, but I think the Washington Commanders are going going to go in a different direction at some point. And then it's going to be interesting to see what happens in this AFC West because it, it's going to be who who can get rid of who first. I know that Mark Davis recently came out and said that Josh McDaniels' job is secure. I don't know how he can say that. Well, actually, I do. They're still playing, paying John Gruden to go That's away. That's the key. And so you don't want to have to pay two guys to go away. Right. So maybe just based off of that, he's safe. Nathaniel Hackett. New is, owner? Is, yeah. They, New, the owner wasn't there when he got hired. He, he's going to, if they don't find a way to win games, him and Russell might be on the on the same uh, bus leaving out of the, the, the facility together. Anywhere, is he? You got $275 million? You're going to have to figure something out. Yeah. You're going to have to figure something out because it's not good. No, it's, and as it's you really said, not. it's not it's it's not good right now. I think what you have to do in Denver is one of two things, and one of them is really a bitter pill. You'd have to give Russell control, which you hate the idea. You of. can't do that. Or the other thing you do is bring in Dan Quinn, who was on the Seahawks staff when uh, when Russell went to a Super Bowl, and Daryl Bevel was their offensive coordinator. You can bring in Daryl Bevel as your offensive coordinator, and just hope that you can put together a system that he will agree with. Yeah, I, mm, 
I, I don't see. I think Russell is his own man. Russell Westbrook and Russell Wilson are are probably on two yeah, different right, ends right. of the spectrum, but they are so much alike, yeah, right? <laughs> in yep. so many ways, uh, yeah. I, nah, it's going to be tough for for you to get Russell to do mm-hmm. something other than what he wants to do. It's unbelievable. Yep. Matthew, what do we got? Take it or leave it. Roquan Smith was the best trade line addition, or trade trade deadline addition. Excuse me. I'm going to take that because he was traded to a contending team, and a team that has a chance to. Do really good things. I will leave it because Christian McCaffrey going to the 49ers was an outstanding trade for them. Um, And it gives them so much they can do offensively. And it's hard to to game plan for a team when you don't know. know, When they come out in a certain personnel, you assume. They come out in 21, two running backs and a tight end. You expect them to run the football, but they can spread them out. And even Kyle Juszczyk can catch the ball out Mm -hmm. of the backfield. So, your personnel will change based on their personnel, and and they can align in any type of alignment that they want to, and it's going to be tough to play defense against them. I did not like them trading Jeff Wilson to Miami, by the way. You know what? I they they don't care about running backs. I mean, they brought Tevin Campbell back, and yeah. and, and he's been you know he he was gone in New York yeah, for a couple right. of years. They don't care about running backs. They got McCaffrey now. They're going to give him the football, but they are they feel comfortable yeah. enough to give the ball to anybody and their offensive scheme is going to be successful. Good call on McCaffrey. By the way, I think TJ Hawkinson will make an impact yeah. in Minnesota yep. too. Yeah, that was also a super cheap trade to his division and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's going to be a good one too. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals should be interested in Jean, uh, Jean Segura after his option was declined by Philadelphia. Uh, I'm going to leave that. You got enough middle infield. Yeah, depth. he's a second baseman. Yeah, you don't, you don't. And, and, and we've talked about it yesterday. We talked about Possibly Trey Turner. You got Tommy Edmond. You got Brendan Donovan. You got Nolan Gorman. You got Mason Wynn. You don't. We don't need. No. That. There, there were times where I would have taken that, but I don't think now is yeah. one of those times. Yeah. Take it or leave it. The Blues finish DFL. Dead effing last. Oh. <laughs> oh I'm my. Gonna, I'm gonna leave that. Uh, what did the other text say? <laughs> what did the one say? Three and seventy nine. Yeah. yeah. Three and seventy nine. <laughs> <laughs> when you lose seven I games in a row, get, it, mm-hmm. it does feel like you'll never win again. Again, yeah, like it, it, it's feeling like you don't remember the like who remembers the last win. Like if you really, you would really have to think. But who who was it there against? Three and zero, right? It, um, Edmonton. That Oilers. two nothing win over Edmonton. Yeah. yeah, but it took a while to remember that. That yeah. that's a bad sign. When yeah, you don't remember really the good, last win, a really good win too. Yeah, it's been, shut down McDavid and Drysaitel. Been a while. They should finish ahead of San Jose. But they'll uh, well, be in line. Randy, what if you, you lose to San Jose? They, they play San Jose in then a couple of days. We're looking on at 379, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Take it or leave it. With, the, with fields on the rise and a plethora of draft picks, the Bears will compete for force first place in the NFC North next year. Leave it. Another. Uh, that goes back to my first take it or leave it. That's another dumb organization. They they are I think they are they are not they are not intelligent they they do some some weird things I like I actually like the addition of Chase Claypool even though he's a he's a he's a young he, he's in the right place right now he's in a place where he's got a quarterback that is young like him and Ben probably were not they 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 it didn't work well because mm-hmm. they he just he's too much involved in himself to to really see the, the the bigger picture from what I've seen on the outside but I think he's in the right place with Justin Fields because. They they can grow together as young players and and become a really good uh, duo if 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 it continues if it, if he stays in the place and and, and locked in and it'll work out I think I but even with the draft picks I mean this is a franchise 
that traded up to get Mitch Trubisky. I mean, that, that was a different uh, still regime, franchise, though. though. Yeah, yeah. Somebody yeah. signed off on that at, at the highest level. Yeah, he probably. Who you want? Uh, what does he do? Uh, okay, yeah. sure. And it, you come hey. up with a way to keep Roquan. Roquan Smith leads the league in tackles. He wanted to be there. You come up with a way to he keep was, him there. He was frustrated after they got rid of Robert Quinn. Yeah, like he was. He was physically. You could see it. He had his had his media session, and he was he was almost in tears losing that 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 guy on the, on the defense, and so. They weren't going to pay him because there was his contract was was he was he should have gotten paid this offseason. They weren't going to pay him what he wanted to get paid, so they had to re, they had to move him on, move on from him yeah. and, and go in a different direction. Yeah, take it or leave it. You'd accept the Blues rebuild over a Cardinals one. Oh, I'd take that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've been through a Blues rebuild. Uh, yeah. Like, Cardinals go. don't rebuild; they reload. Right. The only time they ever really did rebuild was. In the early 90s. Even in the 70s when they were bad, they were bringing in veteran players. It wasn't like they were trying to load up with kids. And they, they rebuilt on the fly. They always brought up a kid during the 80s when Whitey was the manager. But when they brought up Langford, Jordan, Bernard Gilkey, that group, Luis Alisea, they were Todd Zeal. They were trying to rebuild with youth there. But that's just not something that the Cardinals, I don't think this ownership would abide. Did anybody in the 70s ever strip down and just try to play youth? Was it ever a thing in the 70s? Not really, no. I didn't think so. Yeah. Just with the, I mean, it would just, be more likely now with the, with the lack than of, it would have been the then. the lack of expansion and free agency and all those factors, I just I can't imagine a team actually like doing it to that level. Rock, it used to be a time. I know, I know this is this, is, this is, it used don't, to be a time don't do this where, where older guys stayed on rosters like for longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. It used to be a time, Rocky, when they, they really cared about the older guys. And, and, and when I say older, I mean like 31, 32, 33-year-olds. There was a time, Rock, where the older players had a part of teams. Can I get a fifth round draft pick for you? They, yeah. Now, now when you hit 33, 31, they, they say, you know what, what can I, what have you done for me lately? Let me find a younger guy that hey, I don't have to pay. You dupe the Raiders into giving you a first round draft pick for a guy who's about go. to, you know, still have a couple of good seasons, but there not was, be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> I, I can, uh, let me find a team for you. And uh, let's see. They, let me give you about 1977 Montreal Expos. All right. Okay. Gary Carter was 23. They did bring in Tony Perez, but they had Ellis Valentine at 22, Andre Dawson at 22, Warren Cromarty at 23 in the outfield. Their third baseman, Larry Parrish, was 23. Their shortstop, Chris Spire, was 27. So they really only had uh, Dave Cash and Tony Perez. were two. They had two veteran players, and their starting rotation was really young at that time, too. So I would go with the, uh, the 70s Expos were the team that probably did that. And by the way, did it best. Fair enough. All right. Take it or leave it. The catcher position is not a priority. You don't need your catcher to hit. Uh, leave it. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it, but you, you better have bats elsewhere. But you've seen years of, of – Yachty had some some good seasons, but not not outstanding season after season at behind the plate. You don't want a guy that, that when that moment comes up where you're down two and you got two on to, to be a guy that can – Drive it over the fence. I, 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 I do. I like having that guy. But if you give me the choice between a guy who can be a commanding presence behind the plate and handle a pitching staff and play defense, or the guy who doesn't play good defense and can hit the ball over the fence, I want that commanding presence behind the plate. I want that Martin Maldonado type guy, that uh, Christian Vasquez type uh, guy that he, the, the Astros had. Yeah, because he's smart. He's going to lean into a pitch and get on base. Yeah, there you yeah. go. As long yeah. as you do that. Then yeah. we're good. I, my ideal situation <laughs> would be to have both, right? There you go. You yeah. want a guy that can handle a pitching staff and can catch and 
and can hit the ball over the fence. It's, it's really an interesting, and by the way, it's not just our debate. The Cardinals have that debate themselves within their office, which is pretty interesting. It'll be interesting to see who wins. One more, take it or leave it. Cardinals should move Michaelis with his value being the highest and it going into a walk year. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, wow. if, if you go out and you're prepared to sign a Rodon as a free agent, by the way, I, I wouldn't have a ton of confidence in Rodon staying healthy. Yeah, if, if you're prepared to go out and get a couple of more starting pitchers, then yeah, you could move Michaelis. I don't know what you could get for Miles Michaelis. I don't think you're going to go out and get a young, good starting pitcher in exchange for him. But he was ostensibly your number one starter throughout the season, and you won 90 games, so not bad. Uh, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your text. We do appreciate them. Coming up, the Blues. Well, all we can tell you is today's show is brought to you by the number seven. Uh, yeah, they dropped their seventh <laughs> in a row last night. And what has to happen for the Blues to get back to playing that 60-minute game? We'll hear from Craig Berube next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's fresh take. Brought to you by Schnooks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnooks. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Your St. Louis Blues falling 3-1 last night in Boston as they lost their seventh in a row. The Blues were down one after a period and then tied 1-1 after two periods. And after two, folks, at least watching on TV, were feeling pretty good. How did Braden Chen feel about those first two periods being on the ice and scoring the goal? Had some chances, not chances, some opportunities. Uh, just, you know... Uh, to score on the power play, you know, opportunities I'm, I'm talking as in uh, power plays to get us a goal, and we just, uh, you know, didn't create enough momentum for the team in the first period. Second period, we were better. Um, you know, I thought the whole night we worked, we, we competed. Um, you know, obviously, D zone, we got running around there in the third. They kind of took it to us, uh, obviously, quite a bit, and, and um, you know, they were uh, uh, able to capitalize and win the game. And Craig Berube thought that the Blues actually took their foot off the gas in the third period. So what will it take for the Blues to put together a full 60 minutes? they got to want to do it. That's the bottom line. you got to want to do it. It's every guy. You know, every guy's got to dig in. We want to get out of this. We need everybody to dig in and, and do the job. If you're a really good, really talented team, you can win games by not playing a full 60 minutes. I mentioned yesterday I was fooled by the talent level of this team. Maybe last year was the outlier. Maybe last year we were fooled because of all the 20-goal scores, and now they're the lowest-scoring team in the league. But one thing is clear is that they do have to play for 60 minutes because when they do take their foot off the gas, the other team winds up scoring, and they are capable of coming back. Yeah, the other team doesn't take their foot off the gas. No. They just keep going forward. You know, watching the Bruins last night, it was, um, first of all, their jerseys were awesome. I love great. The, the, yeah. the, the Bruin on the jersey. Uh, but the the thing that I noticed most is their movement in front of the net. It was like they were they would sit there for a couple of seconds, then out of there, and the next person would. It was a lot of movement where I see the Blues kind of just sitting still in front of the net and not having as much movement. And I think those things lead to goals. There's a lot of traffic in front of the goalie. He, he, he's not able to get a clear view on who's taking the shot or where the shot is coming from. You've got bodies that can deflect it and tip it in. Um, 
But the Blues have to figure out a way to put a full 60 minutes together. And, and we talked about it yesterday. The first period of the last game was 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 great. And then the second period, they give they gave up four goals. And then last night, you you do well for, for a couple of periods. You, you give up a, a power play goal on, on the penalty kill. And then you find a way to score with, with Kyrou to Shin, and he's, he puts it in the net. And now you're one-to-one. And you feel like, okay, man, maybe we figured some things out. And then you just don't finish the deal for, for whatever reason. Playing a full 60 minutes for this team is not happening. And, and I don't know how you fix that because that should be – you shouldn't have – you shouldn't take your foot off the gas pedal. You shouldn't have those lapses where you don't feel like you have to be engaged for the entire time. I don't know if they're bored. You, you shouldn't – normally teams get bored when you're winning yeah. and you're winning big. When you're getting your butt kicked, you don't generally get bored. You start – pressing and stressing and and you don't see that you know for a full 60 minutes so i don't know how they have to to what they have to do or how they have to figure this out but it needs to get figured out and i will say this i do think they're still trying to figure out the line pairings i I did like shin and kairu on the line together i thought shin made some great passes to kairu passed one off the boards kairu had a a, he's one on the goal and and just lost the puck but I, I like that pairing. I like that line pairing. They're still figuring out where everyone fits on these lines and how to be the best team that they can be. And last night was the second game this season that the Blues have had a completely healthy lineup. Yeah. And they don't have, even though they had the 20-goal scores, let me give you this stat, first of all. The Blues are last in the league at 2.2 goals per game. Second to last is Columbus at 2.5. Blues at 2.2, Columbus at 2.5. The Blues scored a bunch of goals last year, obviously, with uh, all the 20-goal scorers that they had. But they also had a level of grit that David Perron provided because as a puck possession team, he would go into the corner and he would win puck battles. That's the biggest issue with the Blues. They don't consistently go in, and Braden Shen does, by the way. Ryan O'Reilly, to his credit, is still trying to go in there and, and win puck battles. But on a consistent basis for a puck possession team, the Blues don't work hard enough to keep to get position, possession of the puck and then keep possession of the puck. That That's the problem. We talk, I talked to Pank. I was asking him, what is the issue with the turnovers and just not – the puck not staying on their sticks. It, it, it seems like it's something that, you know, you you would learn when you are. It, it, I equate it to what I see if a running back is just running the ball and he just drops it. Like you watch the Falcons player, the D lineman, pick the ball up and he just dropped it. Sometimes guys that don't handle the ball often, mm-hmm. they just tend to drop it. Well, I'm watching the Blues players just not handle the puck correctly and 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 misplaying it. I'm not talking about passes where it's getting tipped and getting intercepted. I'm talking themselves handling the puck and not taking care of it. It is it is it is a bit mind boggling that that's taking place because that's the difference between winning and losing games is just right. taking care of the puck in your own zone or in the in the O zone, making sure that you're able to get the puck to the right guy so they can shoot and score. And right now it's not happening. Blues will have an opportunity tonight against Philadelphia. Again, uh, the pregame at 6 o'clock, or uh, pregame at 5, rather, early fast lane conclusion today. Pregame at 5, action at 6, here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. And the Blues have, uh, ever since Pat Maroon left, I don't think they've had a number seven until now. Right? Hmm. So, maybe they Keith Kachuk, Gary Unger, Red Berenson, Joey Mullen. Are we, is, is tomorrow's lucky number going to be eight? Yeah, Spark Plager. <laughs> Spark Plager tomorrow. Oh, my God. Yeah. We just got to do this. Just, Wednesday just... show brought to you by the number eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
That's today's Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Next up, our buddy Mike Claiborne joining us in the opening drive on 101. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. With Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis, I'm Randy Carricker. It's the opening drive on 101 ESPN, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Mike Claiborne of Claves Online, the Joe West 5460 podcast, Cardinal Broadcasts, and of course he joins us every Tuesday. Is with us, Mike Claiborne. Good to have you with us. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. No complaints yet. All right, CD and I were just having this conversation, and you know, Mike, that this is a topic for debate within the Cardinal front office. If you have to give up some commanding presence behind the plate, some game calling, some managing of the the pitching staff for a little bit more thump from the catcher uh, at the plate, would you do that? Uh, no, I, I think it's important to make sure I have a catcher that's a quarterback that can kind of um, enhance the pitching staff. And and you know we're, we're in an era now where. Catchers really don't call games as much as they used to. You know, a lot, of call, a lot of pitchers come from the dugout. But with that said, you still need someone who has a real understanding of a feel for the game, especially when you have such instinctual players like uh, Goldschmidt and Arenado at the corners. Uh, and, and again, I, when I think look at a catcher, if he can hit me 250, 260, double digits in home runs, and, and can drive in a run, and more than anything else, move a runner along, that, that's what I'm looking for, uh, because to find a guy who can hit 25, 30 home runs and drive in 90 runs as a catcher, that that's uh, you, you just don't see that very much. And I know we we talk about um, the catcher from Chicago, Contreras, but you know Contreras only caught 72 games. Okay, so he was doing a lot more damage as a DH and playing first base than he was behind the plate. Hey, Claves, we were so catcher is, is you got your catcher. We were talking about shortstop as, as well, and there's Greg Amzinger was on with us last week. He said he believes that Trey Turner could be in the fold. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think that that makes sense for the Cardinals, or should they stand pat and, and trust the guys that they have in the farm system and on the, rost, on the roster right now? Well, you know, that's a great question because it's darn if you do, darn if you don't. And I know we've heard a lot about Mason Wynn and, you know, in the times that I've watched him play, you know, he does catch your eye. There's no doubt about it. But my concern would be, you know, when he gets here, is he going to be able to hit the ground running? You know, and the other question is, you know, when you're such a good athlete, you know, maybe you put him in, put him in the outfield. Maybe he's your next center fielder. So if I have a chance at a Trey Turner, I'll figure out Mason Wynn when the time comes. Uh, but if I can get him. And, you know, the Cardinals, when you look back, the best moves they made have been via the trade. You know, the free agent signings haven't been as successful as you'd hope for. You can look at Brett Cecil, uh, Dexter Fowler. There have been a few guys that have come through here. It just didn't work for one reason or another. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think you, you got to be careful on the free agent route because I always say that just because you're a free agent, you're a free agent because of your birthday. Okay, you just have to be a certain age, a certain time in your career. And I'm of the belief that, you know, just because you're a free agent doesn't make you an all star. And I always wonder when you have guys and I look at Trey Turner, who's been with two different teams and neither one of those teams was able to sign him. 
or, or they allowed him to move on where Washington traded him. And the Dodgers, let's face it, if the Dodgers wanted to keep him, they could have signed him during the season. And maybe turn him on to wait to free agency to just to maybe up the price a little bit. Uh, but when you watch his body of work, you say he's a guy that checks a whole lot of body. He, he, he changes your, your lineup completely. Claims, do you have enough confidence in the starters beyond Wainwright, Flaherty, Michaelis, Mats Montgomery, and that would include Libertor, and that would include Graceffo when he gets here, that would include Dakota Hudson. Do you have enough confidence in that depth that if you were the Cardinals, you wouldn't sign another starting pitcher? Um, I would say no, only for this reason. You never have enough start good starting pitching. Now, you know, all those guys you just mentioned have, have shown, with the exception of Graceffo, they've all had big league opportunities. Um, and I, I guess I look at it this way. Who's a guy that when a team rolls into town, they say, wait a minute, we got to face this guy? We got to wait. We have to face this guy, Flaherty and Michaelis or whomever. We don't have that guy that, you know, you say on, on every fifth day, our chances grow exponentially when it comes to having a chance to win a ball game. I don't think that guy is in the rotation. Now, could it be Flaherty? At one point, I thought it would be, and you know, before he had the injuries, and who knows, he might be that guy again. But I don't think you ever have enough good starting pitching. I mean, and there's starting pitching, and then there's postseason competitive starting pitching. Hey, Clay's we And there's a big difference. Sorry about that. Claves, I, I don't know if you heard, but our show today was brought by brought to you by the number seven. And uh, there was a question earlier that, that the Blues were going to go three and 79. <laughs> Clearly, they've lost seven in a row. Uh, are they going to go three and 79? And when is the next win, if there is one? Uh, good question. Uh, I think, you know, they, they're going to they're gonna be okay. I think the look of this team might need to be tweaked a little bit. Um, you know, I, the one thing that is so glaring to me is the lack of competition for loose pucks. Um, you know, they don't even draw penalties. I mean, that was the forte of the Blues. The Blues had that killer power play because they could get on it because they could draw penalties. I mean, they, there's no front net presence. Uh, the, you know, the, go, the puck goes in the corner. The other guy always comes out with it. There just isn't enough competition. And quite frankly, there isn't enough sandpaper on this team where there's a guy that pisses you off and I know everybody brings up David Perron and David Perron did a lot of things one of the things David Perron did he'd get you pissed off and mm-hmm. you take penalty now he, he wasn't going to fight you I mean Perron is not going to fight you but bottom line is he got you off your game they don't have a guy like that right now you know Barbashev could be that guy or at least he was at one point but he's you know his game has changed a little bit but I think they have to tweak it. And I don't know if the, if the person who can tweak this team is on the roster right now. You, you might have to look around and find somebody who, who brings you a little bit more grit, a little bit more determination, and challenges people. And, and there's got to be some challenges within that dressing room. Yeah. Guys have to challenge each other to be better. Uh, you know, I don't want to call them fat cats, but I, I think that at this point in the season, um, you know, you guys look around and realize, well, there's no real competition. I'm in. Mm. You know, I mean, the, the minor leagues doesn't, doesn't provide you any. You don't have a guy that's just budding to get here. You know, Jake Neighbors is your best prospect, and Jake Neighbors is still trying to find his way. So there's no real competition, and, and that, that's something that's got to change. Claves, last thing from me, what was your reaction when you got word last Saturday that Eli Drinkwitz had signed a two-year contract extension at Mizzou? Why? 
<laughs> I just, I mean, and I guess here's my thing. Um, and I'll ask you guys, guys this question. Has this has this program improved that much to warrant such a uh, an increase? And, and my concern is this: you know, Eli Drinkwitz had the, the reputation of being a very good offensive mind, and, and maybe he is. I, I don't I don't know. He might be good at drawing up plays, but calling plays is something I'm still kind of scratching my head about. And I, I would ask you guys this question: of the players since he's been there, his guys. Which one have you seen have a market improvement uh, where he's coached someone up? I mean, you know, we had more quarterbacks than we could, we, you know, we had helmets for at one point, and I don't know if any of them have improved that much. And, and Tyler Macon, that poor guy from East St. Louis, you know, I mean, he was like this can't-miss prospect. He can't get on the field. Sam Horn was this can't-miss guy, can't get on the field. Brady Cook. Is a, is a good quarterback, but he he's not what I would deem an SEC quality quarterback. And there's a difference. I'm, I'm not saying he can't play college football, but when you're in the SEC, they separate everybody from the men from the boys. And from what I've seen so far, he doesn't check enough of those boxes. And Claves, by the recruiting services, and some coaches like him, some coaches don't, but we do know this, that the people that ran the recruiting services, they rated Sam Horn as the 70th best football player in America coming out. The number 70 prospect, not the, not, the, not the number 70 quarterback, the number 70 player. If your situation is where you are with all due respect to Brady Cook right now, and you can't get Sam Horn on the field, that's a you problem. That's not a Sam Absolutely. Horn problem. That's a, that, that's a coaching problem. That, that Randy, you hit the nail right on the head. And that's why I ask you guys a question. Who has been coached up to the point where they have made a significant impact? Now, you can say, well, Dominant Lovett. Well, Lovett, they just moved him to another position. You know, and so I, I haven't seen that sort of growth yet. I'm hoping to see it. You know, I mean, I'm like you guys. I want to see Missouri do well. Uh, but right now, yeah, the, process taking, the, process, <laughs> the process is taking a little longer than I thought. Kerry, by the way, man, what the hell happened to Illinois, man? Oh, <laughs> I was hoping we got out of here without discussing oh, that. I mean, Claims, you know, what are we doing? You know what? Here's the thing. And I'm, I'm going to tip my captain, Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker it was catching a whole lot of heat. Yeah. He had to suspend eight guys. Somehow or another, he got those guys to come together and go in the champagne when everybody thought they were going to get waxed and, and turn in a really good performance, says a lot about the makeup of him. And I know that people wonder why did they pay him all that money yeah. after one year. I thought this was a good example on, on what, what happens when you have a guy who's about character and making sure guys show up. And that was an impressive win against Illinois. Yeah, he definitely had them ready to play. And I think it, it, it hurt us. You know, I think college kids read headlines. They see that they had so many yep. players out, and they assume that it was going to be a cakewalk. And Michigan State showed up and punched them in the face early, and, and they were not able to recover from it. So now, uh, it's a lesson Illinois learned. Who's Illinois this weekend? Uh, who's Purdue. Illinois have we got Purdue at home. So that, hopefully we bounce call. back and get it get it back on track. Uh, but hope And hopefully they're not looking forward to next week, which is at Michigan. So take the task that is in front of you. Make sure you handle that and then handle the next one. Spoken like a true coach. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Claves, great to have you with us. Let's uh, talk a little bit about, as we start the college basketball season, what's going on with Claves Online? Well, we uh, have a two-man game with Matt Rocchio and Bob Ramsey. Uh, that, that, if you're a basketball fan, you have to listen to that podcast. <laughs> because they're not two. There's, there's three guys in town that really know their hoops. 
Matt Rocchio, Earl Austin, Bob Ramsey. And they can cover NBA, college basketball. They do a phenomenal job. Howard Richards and I, we, we have huddled up with Howard every Thursday. We talk about uh, the NCAA and certainly the NFL. And uh, Alex Ferrario does our hockey coverage along with Kevin Weeks. I think Weeks and I are doing something Thursday. So we have that going on. And today we have lunch with Claves and Joe. That comes your way at noon. And uh, we'll cover all the things, including St. Louis U's win last night, Missouri's win last night, and Illinois' win last night. So uh, a lot to talk about, a lot to cover, and um, we got a lot of stuff going on. We invite everybody to tune in. All right, Claves, always great to have you with us. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Looking forward to it, fellas. Have a great week. All right, my man. That's the great Mike Claiborne on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the fight. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome into the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Matthew Rocchio, and it is time for the fight. Rock, how you feeling today? I'm feeling good, Kerry. I'm feeling good today. How are you doing? I'm feeling wonderful. We're and, in here. And, and our contestant today, Terrence, how are you feeling, sir? I'm pretty good, thank you. How are you guys doing? Doing well, doing well. Uh, not as well as some people, I guess, uh, the Blues are not doing a little bit better than yeah, them. Gotta but, be, gotta be. Unfortunately, oh, yeah, but, Jeff. But hopefully, Terrence, your your streak is going to be a little bit better than theirs. So let's get started. You ready? Okay. All right. Yes, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Happy birthday to world champion and former Cardinal Nick Punto. Which AL team did Punto leave after seven seasons before he joined the 2011 Cardinals? Was it the Boston Red Sox, the Oakland Athletics, or the Minnesota Twins? I'll say the Twins. Happy birthday to Sam Bradford. Since 2003, the Sooners have had four different quarterbacks win the Heisman with Bradford, uh, Baker Mayfield, and Kyler Murray winning the last three. Which Oklahoma QB started the run with his Heisman win in 2003? Was that Josh Heupel, Michael Robinson, or Jason White? uh, Options? All right, which Oklahoma quarterback started the run with his Heisman win in 2003? Was that Josh Heupel, Michael Robinson, or Jason White? I'll say Josh Heupel. All right, Terrence, before the Astros this season, who was the last team to clinch the World Series in its home ballpark? The 2013 Boston Red Sox, the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals, or the 2015 Kansas City Royals? Some tough ones here today. I'll say uh, I'll go with the home team, the 2011 uh, Cardinals. All right. And who was the only player in MLB history to win the MVP in both the AL and the NL? Is that Nomar Garcia Parra, Mark McGuire, or Frank Robinson? The only player to win in both leagues? Only player in MLB history to win MVP in both the AL and the NL. Frank Robinson. We'll double check our score here with Kerry, and we will bring in Mr. Terrence, Randy Carrick. How you feeling? 
Uh, I think I got one right for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Randy has his Dr. Pepper. As usually is. He doesn't have anything to eat, though. He's, he I had a banana. Oh, he did have a banana. Sorry. Yeah. Well, missed that. Healthy. Yep. All righty. Randy, say hello to Terrence. Terrence, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. How you get? How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. All right, Randy, you ready? I'm ready. All right, happy birthday to world champion and former Cardinal Nick Punto. Which AL team did Punto leave after seven seasons before he joined the 2011 Cardinals? I believe he was a Minnesota twin. Happy birthday to Sam Bradford. Since 2003, the Sooners have won, had four different quarterbacks win the Heisman, with Bradford, Baker Mayfield, and Kyler Murray winning the last three, which Oklahoma QB started that run with his Heisman win in 2003. So 2003... Oklahoma quarterback Heisman Trophy winner. Maybe the second worst Heisman Trophy winning quarterback after Gino Toretta. Mm. Jason White. Mm. Pretty bad. All right. <laughs> hey, he still won the Heisman Trophy. I mean, that's, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the worst of the best. <laughs> kind of like uh, Bob Greasy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're a Hall of Famer, but you're the worst Hall of Famer. Sorry. All right. Before the Astros this season, who was the last team to clinch the World Series in its home ballpark? That was against the Cardinals. It was the 2013 Red Sox. And who was the only player in MLB history to win the MVP in both the AL and the NL? Matthew, did he win it for the Reds and the Orioles? I can't tell you that. <laughs> hmm. uh, a guy that uh, I didn't like at first, but I just loved when he became the manager of the Expos slash uh, Washington Nationals, Frank Robinson. By the way, can I give you this quick Frank Robinson story? Indeed. He's the manager of the Nationals. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's at 573 home runs or something like that. He's won MVP in both leagues. Young player comes up to him as manager of the Nationals, one of his players. Hey, did you ever play? <laughs> yep, it happened. It happened. Listen, you, you, it's not surprising though, Randy. If you, these these young men are not in tune to what's going on, other than what's in front of them. Unbelievable. Like Did you ever play? I would have liked to know the exact way he answered that question. Did I ever play? I yeah, think he yeah, better than you ever did, man. <laughs> I don't think he was mean Who about it. Who is the player? Oh my god! I don't think Robbie ever told. Oh. Damn it. That's unfortunate. Well, that's a good story, and this was a good fight. Randy Carragher here on a Tuesday. Was he able to jump right into day number two with a second straight win, or was Terrence able to stop Megamind Randy Carragher? Didn't even need any options in the questions today. Probably not a good sign. But we'll see what happened here. Did Terrence have enough or was it Randy Carricker? Ring that bell. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby.
Uh, the truest of of hitting the jacks here. A 4-2 win for Randy Carricker. He didn't need any options on any of these questions. Terrence, you put up a good fight. Anytime you get two on the fight, it's a it's a good one. But unfortunately, every time once in a while, Randy does get in his bag and get all four. So unfortunately, it is a 4-2 win by Randy Carricker. Before we let you go, Terrence, though, let's give everybody the answers in case you weren't listening. Nick Punto joined the Cardinals in 2011, won a World Series with him that season. He left the Minnesota Twins the year prior after seven years with them. Happy birthday to Sam Bradford. Obviously won the Rookie of the Year with the Rams. Since 2003, the Sooners have had a nice little run of quarterbacks to win the Heisman. Bradford, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, the last three. It all started in 2003, though, when Jason White won the first of those quarterback Heisman for Oklahoma. Before the Astros this season, it was, in fact, the Boston Red Sox in 2013, the last team to win the World Series, clinch the World Series in their home ballpark, and the only player in MLB history to win the MVP in both the AL and the NL, NL. It was, in fact, a guy that Randy finally came around to late. Frank Robinson, he won the AL MVP with the Orioles in 1966 on this day. He won the NL MVP with the Reds a few years prior in 1961. So, Randy, with a 4-2 win, thank you so much for joining the fight today, Terrence. All right, thank you, guys. Have a good one. Terrence, thank you very much. And we appreciate you tuning in for the fight. CD, Matthew, Randy, and coming up... Both Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds have another shot at the Hall of Fame. If you're in the room, are you pounding your fist on the table to get those two in? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. On December 4th at baseball's winter meetings, eight players will be considered for the Hall of Fame class of 2023 by the Contemporary Baseball Era Players Committee. Those players that will be considered are players that have already fallen off the ballot. Albert Bell, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Don Mattingly, Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, Rafael Palmero, and Kurt Schilling are the players that are on the contemporary baseball era ballot. How they left Mark McGuire off, I don't know, but that's a story for another day. But specifically, CD, Bonds and Clemens have been left off by the writers because enough writers thought that they either shouldn't get involved in the steroid issue, the PED issue, or they thought the players cheated. And so those guys who are clear Hall of Famers, you couldn't tell the story of baseball without Bonds and Clemens, have been left out of the Hall of Fame. If you are a member of that committee, how entrenched are you in trying to get them into the Hall of Fame? Because I, if I'm sitting at that table, and I know there's players, former players on the the committee that are stridently against anybody who used PEDs getting into the Hall of Fame. But if I'm sitting there as Randy Carricker, I am making the argument that, A, if we don't have people like Bonds and Clemens in the Hall of Fame, what are we doing? Why why are we bothering? And secondarily, I, I would say, okay, in terms of baseball, when were those guys suspended by baseball because of their PED use? Right. It, 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 if you don't have those guys in, why are you calling to the Hall of Fame? I mean, this is, this is Barry Bonds we're talking about, the— 
uh, regardless of how you think it came about, the all-time home run leader. I know uh, last couple of months ago, a month ago or so, they were they were trying to claim Aaron Judge is the. That's not what he is. <laughs> that's not what. Then they try to say the AL home run leader. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But not the Major League Baseball home we run. We saw the ball go we, over the fence uh, seven hundred plus times. I, I I we saw it happen. Um, and then you have Roger Clemens who is top ten in in wins. Uh, in the game of baseball, in the in the in the entire history of baseball, he's number nine. How you don't have those guys, and I understand that that there's a frustration with the the PEDs, but you know who wasn't frustrated? Baseball wasn't too frustrated in ninety was it ninety six ninety what yeah, year ninety eight ninety eight where McGuire where and McGuire and Sosa were doing what they were doing because it it brought baseball back. There were ads that said chicks dig the long ball, like they were they were excited about the ball going over the fence. They were not upset or frustrated with any of that taking place at that time. So. And it was available to everyone. It wasn't banned. It wasn't outlawed. It wasn't something that was yeah. looked in down baseball. upon. In baseball, right. correct. So it's not a. It was not an issue. You're mad at guys who were already elite, who became even better because they 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 had an opportunity to take some of the stuff that everyone else was taking. I feel as though baseball has to correct this. They need to get those guys into the Hall of Fame because they are Hall of Fame worthy, and there are guys that are not nearly as good as them that they have to look up and say those guys that guy could never do anything mm-hmm. against me that person that that pitcher Barry Bonds is looking at some guys like I, you know how many home runs I hit off that guy you know how many, what my average was versus that guy Roger Clemens you know what I did every time I faced this person <laughs> and this person is in the Hall of Fame and I'm not it's it's disrespectful to the game of baseball they 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 did what they did which was not a crime and mm-hmm. they were punished severely and are still being punished for something that you know as I said, was readily available to everyone that could use it. And, and some did, some did not. They just were better than the others. Now, some of the others, Albert Bell never won an MVP. He had a career OPS of 933, which is spectacular. Hit 381 home runs, had, drove in 1,200 runs, and had a career batting average of 295. He was a really, really, really good player. I consider him borderline, and I would put him on the line below Hall of Fame worthy. That's just my opinion, right. as great as he was. Because you get into a, a, a point here, and by the way, I, I think Jim Edmonds was great, and he had almost 400 home runs as well, was a much better postseason performer, by the, well, by the way. And, and I, I have him on that borderline. I have Edmonds right above. I think Edmonds was an overall better player than Bell. And I, one thing I do carry... I leave personality out of it. Yeah, Albert Bell was not a good guy. No. On the, he almost killed Fernando Vina on the field one yeah. time. Yeah, right. He's a bit uh, angry. Barry, bon, Barry Bonds not a great guy. He got hit by a pitch and refused to go to first base. <laughs> Man, that's how crazy <laughs> Albert Bell. He yeah. didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going. Yeah. I don't accept that. Yeah. I'm staying here. I, he was. He was not okay. Yeah, yeah, he was no, a little different. No, he, he was <laughs> a great, great player. Yes, uh, Mattingly. Man, I think Mattingly's career was just cut too short by the back injury. Mm-hmm. And as great as he was, and was the best player in the game for a good portion of the early 80s, I, I think that his back injury keeps him out of the Hall of Fame. Crime Dog, I've always thought, should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And we were mentioning yesterday, if Crime Dog hits seven more home runs, he's already in the Hall right. of Fame. The writers voted right. Him, right? He's got 500. Uh Dale Murphy, back-to-back MVPs, great player. Another guy that I have right below the borderline. And by the way, these guys that are being voted on, if they weren't 
borderline guys, they or legit Hall of Famers, they wouldn't be on the, this list. Rafael Palmeiro's on this list, and Mark McGuire isn't. Yeah. I, I don't get that. Or Sammy Sosa, for that matter. I, that, because I think that those two are the poster children for what they claim the PED era was. Those two, like I said, they didn't have an issue with it when they were going after 60 and 62 mm-hmm. and, and Mark ended up hitting 70. There was no issue. But for whatever reason, those two guys seem to be the, the, the picture that you put up when you talk about that era and what was wrong with it. You're right about that, but here's my differentiator. Rafael Palmero got suspended for yeah. PEDs. Yes. If you got suspended, if you were stupid enough to get suspended for however you got yeah. it into your body, if you got suspended, that should take you out of consideration for the Hall of Fame. It should. And and it, as you said, the reason the, <laughs> there's no rhyme or reason as to why those two aren't on there and he is. I don't think he's going to get in. I don't think he's if, – if you're looking at that list you and you can only – let's say it's only two guys that are going to get on. Those are the two guys. Barry and Roger are the two guys that, that deserve to be in the most. My, my next question to you would be – Pete Rose. I mean, it, 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 what? <laughs> official betting partner of Major League Baseball. <laughs> what, now we've right. Got, I, what are we? I mean, at it, some point, man, it's it's. You know, I understand the level of frustration with people, and and but th- these are not crimes that they committed. Where they were, there were acts against human beings, and and they were doing something. Those two, Barry Bonds and 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 Roger Clemens, were doing something that was allowed. Barry Bonds was probably a Hall of Famer prior to even getting on the juice. He was that good as a as a baseball yeah, player. He was, and so you don't have to. You can look at his his careers in in its entirety and understand he was a hell of a baseball player before he gained whatever have forty fifty pounds whatever that yeah, was a of muscle of his head. yeah yeah his head got a lot yeah. bigger yeah, he made some sacrifices right Randy <laughs> to, to be <laughs> to become the all time home run leader <laughs> but he was still a very good baseball player prior to that and you know I, I think that baseball has done a disservice to to the game. In, in a multitude of ways, but make not not having these guys in your Hall of Fame is definitely one of those ways. I'm going to put up a poll right now, a simple one. Uh, should, with where we are now in baseball, with gambling, uh, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? By the way, as offensive to many as what Kurt Schilling said is, and as controversial as Kurt Schilling is, I don't know that I want to hear his speech at the Hall of Fame, but that is not my concern. Did the guy do enough to make the Hall of Fame? And I believe with the combination of a borderline regular season career and maybe the best postseason career ever, I think I would vote for Schilling. Now, I'm not going to pound the table for Schilling like I will for Bonds and Clemens because I'm worried for the Hall of Fame about what he'll say. But I, from a baseball standpoint, if somebody says, yeah, Kurt Schilling should be in, I'll I'll say, yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. Yeah. But I'm not pounding my fist. No. You're going to pound your fist for Roger Clemens and and Barry Bonds. And by the way, Pete Rose. And Pete Rose. Yeah. It should be done already. Sad sad that it has not been done. No doubt about it. CD, Randy, and that is uh, our latest baseball segment on 101 ESPN. Coming up, today's big thing. So, Jeff Saturday took the Colts job. Is it? Is it any good? Is the job any good? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Brandy and Carrie break down the biggest story of the day on the Opening Drive. It's time for today's big thing. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com.
904 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And the poll is up on the Twitter machine. And uh, here is what it asks. With baseball's relationship with gambling now, should Pete Rose be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? At the moment, uh, let me see. We've got more votes than that. Let me pop this up here a little bit. Uh, 80 votes early on. 80.8 say yes, 19.2% say no. All right, Kerry Davis, we talked earlier about how the Jeff Saturday coaching situation in Indianapolis might be tenuous because of the people that are on the staff that probably deserved the job ahead of Jeff Saturday. Our coach is going to respect him. But at the end of the day, if you're Jeff Saturday, you've got a really good gig at ESPN. You're making a lot of money. Maybe you did want to be an NFL head coach. I don't know. But when you look at that job over the last, well, since Jim Caldwell left. Is it a very good job to have? Um, looking at, I mean, they're, they're sitting at three and five right now. They they lost to the Commanders, to the Titans twice. Um, you just lost to the Patriots last weekend. You beat the Chiefs earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. There's that. that. I mean, that's something. But you have, you're on your second string quarterback. You are, you have fired your OC. You just fired your head coach. And now you bring in Jeff Saturday, who has never coached an NFL game or a collegiate football game in his entire life. He's coached high school, as have I. So there, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, ha- I think the issue that you run into bringing him in, he was an advisor, which to me sounds like he's not there every day because I see him on TV mm-hmm. at ESPN and, right. and Get Up and, and all the different TV shows. So that clearly means that he's not at Indianapolis at the facility every single day. He does not know that team in and out the way that the men that are in that locker room, in that coach's office, how they understand that team and what is needed and what's going on. So it's going to be it's going to be different and it's going to be interesting to see how all of this pans out and how it plays out, because he's not been there every single day. When we look at the job itself, though, we're going to talk to Rick Venturi about this tomorrow. Coach is uh, getting some medical work done today, so he couldn't join us this morning, but he'll join us tomorrow. But. Carrie, I, I look at the owner, who's very outspoken, and last year after the final game, outside of his jet, put a video on Twitter saying, hey, we, we've got to be better. And then right after that came word that they were going to get rid of Carson Wentz. He seems like a micromanager. And the question I, I guess I would ask is this. And by the way, Tony Dungy worked with, for him, and so did Jim Mora with a lot of success. But in tw- for the 2023 season, the hottest coaching candidate is going to be Sean Payton. Does Sean Payton take a serious look at that job? No. Man, and here's the reason. Who's, who's your quarterback? You, If you're an established head coach and, and you know your career, your legacy, how you want it to be defined, you don't go to a place that has had five different starting quarterbacks for the last five years. Frank Reich really was up against the wall from the beginning. When you have an opportunity to, you think you're going to have Andrew Luck, you think you're going to have your quarterback solidified going forward and in the future, and things change so drastically. They have had multiple quarterbacks to start a season his entire tenure there. Mm-hmm. That is not a recipe for success. That is a recipe to fail. You're going to fail when you don't know who your guy. You brought in um, Philip Rivers, <laughs> Rivers Wentz, Carson Wentz, Ryan, Matt yeah. Ryan, you had Jacoby Brissett. You, you had a year of luck. You had one year, and then, then, then he was gone. Yeah. And so you are trying to patch together a football team with the most important position on in sports. And not having that position, and now you, you you're told, hey, Sam Ellinger is going to be your starting quarterback now, and you're going to get Matt Ryan up out of there. They don't have an identity at the quarterback position. They don't know who's going to be their guy. They don't know if they're going to have to find that guy in the draft. 
they have to start over in that position. And and it's unfortunate because you thought you thought Andrew Luck would still be in the fold at this point right now. And clearly he retired, said he didn't want to do it anymore. And now you're 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 struggling trying to figure out where to go from here. And I think the one thing that could change, and maybe this would be why Peyton would look at it, because it seemed like Mora and Dungy had the respect of Ursay. Yeah. And he let them kind of do their thing. After that, Chuck Pagano, an assistant coach, is promoted. Right. And Frank Reich, an assistant coach who's promoted. I wonder if a guy with head coaching chops walks through that door. And by the way, I think Jeff Saturday is going to wind up being their head coach. You think so? I think he's going to keep the job. I don't think so. Really? I don't. I don't think. I don't think you. I, because I don't think it's going to go well for him. They have. They play the Raiders this weekend, and this is a. The, it's not the battle of the basement, but it should be because the Raiders stink, mm-hmm. and the and and so whoever wins, you know what would be perfect would be a tie for that game. <laughs> that would be that would make my weekend. I will come in on Monday and say one thing I loved about the weekend was the tie <laughs> between the Raiders and the Colts because it fits. Um, but those te- two teams are struggling. Then they got to play the Eagles. They play them at home, but the Eagles are undefeated. They go. They play the Pittsburgh Steelers, a game that they probably should win, but they probably won't win because mm-hmm. I think the Steelers will figure something out. They go to Dallas, they go to Minnesota, they play the Chargers, and then they have to go to the Giants, and then they end their season with the Texans. They should lose four of those five games and probably beat the Texans, but at that point, there's a thing about uh, rosters and, and men in locker rooms and how they're going about their day. That coaching staff is going to be frustrated mm-hmm. because you fired the head coach, you fired the OC, and then you brought in someone from the outside when we have coaches here. All of those men are looking for jobs right now, today, as we speak. They're watching film and they're looking and they're texting friends. Hey, what you got? What you yep. got going on? Uh, what, 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 what we're looking at? What, what are we looking like for next season? The players. They don't know Jeff Saturday the way that they know the men that are the coaches that are in that in that office. So. It's going to be a lot of things that they're going to have to buy in on. It's going to be a tough season to watch this, how it unfolds for the rest of the season. And if they do win, I would be surprised. They're not going to get over 500, and they may win one or two games the rest of the season, which is, which would be surprising. So if that would happen, and by the way, I just don't think – I think that if – Ursay was going to make the logical move for next year, he would have made it yesterday too. Yeah. But – if he doesn't keep Saturday, but we're talking about logic and Ursay, so not a very good thing to do. <laughs> okay. the, the, the premise is probably off right off the bat. But you, if you do look, if you talk to Tony Dungy about the job, or you talk to Jim Mora about the job, maybe those guys say, "Hey, you go in there; he'll respect you." You've got a great stadium. Ballard has collected some good players. Their offensive line is playing bad, but they've got good offensive linemen. They've got a really uh, nice defensive player that hasn't hard, uh, Shaq Leonard has hardly played this year, yeah. right? Maybe the best linebacker in the game. They've got some really nice elements there, but I think you have to walk in and you have to just get it down with Jim Irsay that he is not the coach, that you're the coach. I, I feel like things shifted when Bill Polian left. And that was his last mm-hmm. season was 2011. You did not hear much about Ursay in the news, in the media. He was not one of those figures like a like a uh, Jerry Jones in Dallas. He was not a guy that you constantly heard his name 
or heard the good and the bad about him. But since then, in the last 10 years, you've heard he's had he's been suspended from the NFL. He's had uh, drug and alcohol issues. He's been front line in, in this instance. You've heard a lot. He, he was he was the one standing up saying that Dan Snyder needed to be removed. You've heard a lot about Jim Ursay in the last 10 years where you didn't hear that when you had a strong GM team president in, in Bill Polian who really is the one that got that thing going in the direction that it did. And so if you're going to hire someone, you have to hire people that are that are strong individuals. And I'm not saying that uh, Jeff Saturday isn't. I don't know him personally like that. I don't know him well enough to say that he is not. But I do know that he has not been in that office every single day. He has not been grinding from sunup to sundown, literally sunup to sundown, and some nights spending nights in the office, which I'm sure they have coaches that have. There is going to be a disconnect and a frustration from those men that have put in those hours to have an outsider come in, and now you're telling us how to run this team to be be better and win games when you have not put in the time, nor the energy, nor the effort that we have in this building. Four yes or no questions for Kerry Davis. Did you play for the Indianapolis Colts? Yes. Are you a high school football coach? Yes. Are you in media? Yes. Did you get a call to be head coach of the Colts yesterday? No. Damn and it. I don't know why. I, I frankly, I cannot. I too this. played with Peyton Manning. There you go. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, he played with Peyton Manning. Me too. What do you mean? I played wait, for the Colts. Wait. Did you ever scream at Peyton Manning? No, well. I did scream at Ben though. <laughs> that, counts. that has to count. That's Me and go. Ben, That's I got count. a clear shouting match. He's a thick man. Throw me the ball. What That's are you count. doing? <laughs> I've had those conversations. Sorry, you, cl- you you clapped your hands and screamed, oh, throw me the ball at Ben Roethlisberger. I, I, I snapped on him. I, I completely <laughs> back is, in the huddle. Okay. First, I'm, sorry, I'm the first option on this route. <laughs> And you threw it to Heath. Me and you are going to box. Did you get an eye roll or did you no, get... No, he was like, oh, my bad, CD. Oh, good. Yeah, okay, well, because I, I, I was dead serious. <laughs> I have to imagine that there were multiple times in Ben Roethlisberger's career where somebody said, why did you throw the ball to Heath when I was the number one round? Because it's Heath Miller. Because it was Heath Miller. It's Heath Miller is the answer. Is the answer all the time. You don't get... I understand why he did it. Doesn't mean he was right, Rock. He was dead wrong. And he should have thrown me the ball. I might have scored on a 70-yard touchdown I've, in the flat. I've never seen you. I, it, it, oh, Randy, it, I was hot. You still I are. was coming off of an injury. I hadn't played in a couple weeks. I needed to show people that I was back. And and he he, he missed me in the flats on purpose. The level of a quarterback just feeding one specific player that I've ever <sighs> seen in my entire life is like Jay Cutler and Brandon, Lo- uh, and Brandon Marshall. Yes. Um, and like number like uh, any Houston Texans quarterback and randomly Tony Scheffler, oh, Sam and Amendola, Stafford and, <laughs> and, and Stafford and, and Cooper Cup in this moment. Another yeah, yeah. one, Ben Roethlisberger, Heath Miller. There'd be passes where I'd be like, Heath was not even looking at Roethlisberger, and, and he he's going to throw it to him. Throwing, doing yeah. it. Heath is going to catch right it. There. Yeah, right. I understand why he did it, but it didn't make it right, Randy. So <laughs> I've had I've had arguments with star quarterbacks as, as well. There you go. So there we go. What are we talking about? I'm on my way. I'm waiting on the phone call. At Randy Carricker on Twitter, <laughs> the poll. With baseball's relationship with gambling now, should Pete Rose be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? We're up near 300 votes. 86.5% of you believe that yes, Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Keep voting at Randy Carricker on Twitter. Coming up, today's show is brought to you by the number seven. Will tomorrow's show be brought to you by the number eight? It's <sighs> next on 101 ESPN. <laughs> You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. The number of the day. I say simply heaven. The number of the day is seven. Now, while I am confident in the blues, I'm, I'm very confident, but I also believe 
that it is in any situations, you don't look at the big picture down the road. You have to break this into five game segments right now. And, you know, I, I know this is looking on the positive, but it, it starts, I thought it starts last night. That's game one of five, and that's minus one. Now you go into Philly, you try to even that up to go one and one. That is Blues analyst Aaron Pang of Valley Sports with us this morning here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. He's confident breaking things down into segments of five, which, by the way, last night should have been the last of ten, right? So tonight should be the first of a a new five that you get, which is good. So you've lost seven in a row, thus the number of the day is seven. Philadelphia is not as good as Boston. Boston is the best team in the league right now from a standings perspective. The Blues do have a chance against Philadelphia. I don't think they had a chance against Boston. Uh, they got a chance, Randy. They're, they're, they're professional hockey players. Yeah. yeah. They got a chance. And I like an opportunity. Here's one thing that Panger said, and I like it, and I agree with it, and I hope that the coaching staff would be on board with it, is I do believe – that Jordan Bennington should get the start tonight in a back-to-backer. And when the Blues start winning, Bennington should be the guy. And I have tons more confidence in Jordan Bennington than I do, all due respect to Thomas Christ. I have a lot more confidence in Bennington. He's won a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Well, I I think that the the reason why Panger said that is because when this winning streak does eventually start – it needs to be started by by Bennington. It needs to, and if that means, I think he's to the point now where you know there there's probably some frustration seeping in on his behalf. I think the Rock showed a picture when we first came in this morning of of him just looking distraught at one of the goals. I think it was the third goal that mm-hmm. went in, just goal. just distraught because of how things are unfolding in front of him. And I, I the one thing I do hope for for Jordan Bennington is that he does not start to press and feel like he has to do everything and then you get out of you know get out of context and get out of the way of what your your normal day-to-day operations are and trying to do more than than you should or have to because you feel like the people in front of you aren't doing well enough I I hope that they all can understand that we're all in this together and we all have to do our part. Robert Thomas talked about it last week on on with us. He said, you know, the goalies aren't playing poorly. We are playing poorly in front of them. And so, you know, you hope that those guys understand that there's a lot more involved in in, in making sure that these goals don't go in other than our goalie <laughs> standing on his head mm-hmm. every single shot and making sure that he's, he's blocking them. Um, but I, I just feel like at some point they have to figure out what it is that they're not doing and do it better. On a consistent basis. And Klaibs referred to this, and so did Panger, when we asked him about who the conscience of the team is right now. And it is. There's no question. It's Braden Shen playing a 200-foot game, giving his all every single night. You never question the effort of Braden Shen. There are guys on this team that I think it's fair to, to, to question. It's O'Reilly, I don't question his effort, but I question his ability to get things done right mm-hmm. now. If Ryan O'Reilly is playing his game, if he's the normal Ryan O'Reilly, then all of a sudden your team looks an awful lot better. But he's not. And the only guy that they really have in my mind that is with ability to play both ends of the ice, the only guy is Shen. Because I don't think right now that Ryan O'Reilly is capable of playing the offensive end. What is the, what is the thing that you're not seeing from Ryan O'Reilly at this point that – in past years, if he were doing that right now, this team would be in a better better position than they are. I think one of the problems that he's had, unfortunately, is that he spent so much time with Jordan Cairo. Mm. And 
there's almost nothing you can do when you aren't playing as a unit and yeah. you are getting up and down the ice and two of you on a line are getting back to the defensive zone and the other guy sitting at the blue line. Yeah. Right? That's a problem. But the other part of it is he had such great chemistry with Perron and knew where David Perron was going to be. He hasn't had sod all mm-hmm. year until two days ago, two games ago. Right. And they, they've rotated right wings. I think one of the things that Ryan O'Reilly needs is capable players, like any center, needs capable players on his wings, and I don't think that he's had that to this point in the season. So that's a that's a just an, a, a line issue that they are still trying to sort out. They are still they've been shuffling the lines. We we talked about it. Achari was on the number on the one line yeah, a couple yeah. of games ago. They're they're trying to figure out who who goes where and how all of these pieces fit together. And, and you would hope. That, you know, during training camp and and the time that they've had, you know, the Blues started later than everyone. They've had less games than everyone. You would hope that with all of the practices that they've had, they would be able to figure out which lines work best together. But for some reason, they're still trying to find that cohesiveness line to line Mm -hmm. and figure out who's going to play well and who's going to play where well. It took about eight years for David Perron to become David Perron. To expect Jake Jake Neighbors to walk in at 19 and have him be David Perron, probably unfair. Same with Jordan Cairo, 22-23, and really his second full year in the league. We we tend to forget that David Perron was looked upon a guy as that wouldn't play defense when yeah. he was younger too, yeah. and now the Blues have all these young players who just aren't NHL ready. Well, I, I talked we talked about Kyrou earlier, and and what I said, you know, the the give and go with him and Shen, he gave it back to him. That was a hell of a pass, mm-hmm. and it was a hell of a decision to not shoot that puck, but to make the better play for his teammate. And you could see when he did that, when they cuddled up, they were waiting on him, they were patting him on the head. Hey. That's what we need. That's yep. what we've been waiting on. Now you got to do it every single time. Be consistent with your game and with your play. And and as a young player, like I said, sometimes when you're so talented, you have really bad habits. And it's yeah. hard to break those bad habits because those habits have had you be successful your entire life. And so you've you you've just year after year, you you've continued those bad habits and now you're at a place where there are other NHL players who are as good as you or even better, and those bad habits cause really bad issues for your team. And he's just going to have to figure out how to get rid of some of those things. And I think last night was a was a step in the right direction where he made the right play, his teammate got the goal, and now you can see how to play the game the right way. And your teammates will appreciate you and respect you a lot more for it. It's Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. Coming up on 101 ESPN, the Astros are the world champions. Their director of baseball fundamentals is Jason Bell. He's a St. Louis U guy, and he's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. The opening drive on 101 ESPN with Kerry Davis, uh, Super Bowl champion. I'm Randy Carricker, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen's line, and another champ joins us, the fundamentals coach of the world champion Houston Astros and a native of St. Louis, Jason Bell, joins us on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Jason, and congratulations. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, you know, it, it feels great. So it's Tuesday morning. Have you slept yet for, since Saturday night? <laughs> Uh, a couple hours maximum each of those nights. Let's let's just say that. It's been, <laughs> been fantastic. Jason, how was the parade? I, 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 those parades are usually awesome. How was that that moment uh, going through the, the streets of Houston? 
I mean, it's unreal, especially the, the city of Houston. It's a, it's very large. People come from all over, all the suburbs, and you know, just the energy that you see. It just, you know, how I how I best describe it is, you know, the last out of the World Series sounding is what it was like permanently for the entire parade length, and uh, that was. Pretty, pretty unbelievable. It was, it was awesome. Hey, Jason, I got a question. Uh, we had Adam Wayne right on uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, actually, during the season, he was talking about his stride length had been off by a, a complete foot. And and so my question to you is, how meticulous, meticulous do you have to be when you're watching players and, and noticing if something is off, whether it's their throwing angle or how they're fielding the ball? How meticulous is that, and how hard is it when it's multiple positions, not just one guy? Yeah, it, it really kind of depends on the specific player and, and um, you know, what their attributes are as that player. And so what you can start to do is see if there's a decline or an increase in, in something in either area. If it's, even, even when things are going well, you want to know, like, is there a difference in, in why this guy's overperforming? And, and can we make sure that this continues that way? So, um, you know, in our organization, we have a lot of data that can, uh, you know, help us. You know, because obviously our, our eyes, we can only see so much. So it's kind of pairing together, you know, information with what, what we see on the field as well. Jason Bell, the Astros, world champion Astros, fundamentals coach with us on 101 ESPN. And Jason, when I was a youngster in this industry, I was at the ballpark every day and watched the Cardinals take infield every single day. And Ozzie Smith worked his tail off to become a great fundamental player and worked at it every day. I don't see teams in the National League, at least now, as they come through, or the Cardinals taking infield nearly as much as they used to. So how do you implement fundamentals in this area? Era. You know, it kind of depends on the specific player himself. So, you know, for, for us, if we have a younger player like Jeremy Pena, his, his body has had less mileage on it from, from uh, you know, from over the years. So he's able to get a little bit more work where, you know, some of the other players who have been around for a while and played in a lot of postseason don't necessarily, you know, ha- have that ability to be able to go out there every single day and, and do all the extra early work and also be ready to play for the game. So, it, it kind of depends on the player, where they're at inside the season, you know, how they're performing, how they're feeling. Um, and so it really just becomes an individual plan inside of a, a team dynamic. I'm intrigued by the evolution of Pena from uh, obviously starting the season, a lot of questions because Correa left to World Series MVP. Tell us about his evolution during the season. Um, it's, it's been kind of crazy. So I was actually his short season manager the, the day we drafted him and uh, just kind of been incredible to see him grow into not only the player he is, but the, the person that he is. And I think from the, from the, from day one, you know, he, he even would say it himself. He's like, I'm not here to replace Carlos Correa. I'm here to be Jeremy Pena. And, you know, that's exactly what he did. He, he performed the way that we knew he could perform and he grew the way that, that we knew he could. And we, we hope that that continues on for, for future success. Hey Jason, I'm a coach as well. And and I think one of the greatest things is when you teach your players or coach your players to do something and it works well in a game, something that you've practiced over and over again, do you have a a moment where you all were working on something and it came up in the game and maybe they didn't believe it was going to work, but it actually worked out well. And and you were able to kind of have a moment where you say, see guys, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, you know, Pena early in his career was making a lot of errors on, like, that medium hit backhand ground ball where he's kind of, you know, running away from first base, doesn't know, you know, do I make this throw on the run? Do I set my feet? And uh, just to kind of see him evolve and make that play, you know, tirelessly over and over the, the season this year and had a lot of success at it was uh, kind of really cool to see. Jason Bell started out at Parkway Central High School, made his way to St. Louis University before going to Central Missouri. As a young St. Louis, and who was your guy? 
Uh, so growing up, I loved, you know, Derek Jeter was obviously my favorite player as a, as a shortstop. But, you know, favorite St. Louis player was, was Yadier Molina and, and obviously Albert Pujols. I just, I just always loved the way that, you know, called games, baseball IQ, all the little things that, that he did to, to help bring championships to the city of St. Louis. Obviously, you were busy this season with your, with your own position and your own coaching, but were you able to catch any of what Yadier and Albert did this season? Uh, not a whole lot, just kind of from afar. And, uh, you know, I, I would watch on some Sunday night baseballs when, when I had a minute, but, uh, it, it was, it was really cool to see the, the reunion of it. And, uh, you know, I'm just really happy for them and, and their careers. You are, uh, a, a, still a young man. You coached in college. How did you wind up in Houston? Take us through your career path. Yeah, so, uh, you know, for starters, I've, got, I've been very fortunate and very lucky. Um, you know, so when I finished playing at, after SLU in Central Missouri, I, I interned at a place called Sports Info Solutions, uh, which at that time was very heavily into, you know, data analytics and how you can apply that to, you know, gameplay strategies, signing players inside the game. And, uh, you know, I actually wrote my master's paper on why I thought the worst team in the world in, in baseball was going to win the World Series, which at that time, the Astros were losing multiple hundred win seasons. So, wow, cool. so I, I tried, yeah, I tried sending my, my paper to them for, for years and didn't, you know, didn't really hear anything because I didn't really have much experience. So, you know, along that journey, I coached at three colleges, Hartley Community College, Maryland Eastern Shore, and Ohio University. And, um, you know, once once uh, we had some success at those, at those places, uh, I was was able to garner their attention a little bit and, and was fortunate enough to get an interview and um, you know started out as like kind of an assistant coach then manager then, then coordinator hey Jason uh, when you win a world championship you have I'm sure your phone was blowing up who was the first person you called or you got a hold of uh, when you finally were able to get to your phone and, and really sit down and have a moment to yourself uh, my parents you know they, they were the ones who introduced me to this beautiful game all, all these these Years ago, you know, we had season tickets to Cardinals games growing up that, that we split. And just, you know, all those those little things that, you know, they did and, you know, for all those years that, you know, obviously make, make obviously a, a major difference. Uh, so just to be able to share that with them was um, was incredible. Are they still here in St. Louis? So they, they recently have, like, retired, and last year they moved from Chesterfield to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, good for them. Nice, <laughs> nice move on their part. Hey, uh, Jason, uh, in covering Dusty all these years, I've tried to tell Kerry uh, Davis what a great guy he is. How cool was it for you and the rest of the staff and the players for Dusty to win the world championship? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's awesome for me because, you know, I, I grew up as a kid and I'm watching games on TV and, and you see him on TV all the time. And um, he obviously has incredible stories. So I'm just really happy for, for him that he's able to add this to, to another one of his stories and, and his, and his legendary status. And then one other thing, you've been with this organization for a few years now. In, in capsule form, why are the Astros so dominant? Oh, I think it just comes down to trying to maximize who every player is individually. And it's not just based on people's opinions. It's based on a lot of try, tried evidence and, and facts that we can get of each player. And, um, you know, I think what, what the players do a great job of is welcoming all newcomers, staff, players, and just the way that they, they make Jeremy Pena and, and the other rookies feel welcomed, I think, you know, has, has a huge, huge role in, um, you know, a lot of victories. Jason, 
Awesome work with us this morning. Awesome work by you with the Astros all year. Congratulations and enjoy that ring. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. You bet, Jason. Take care. That's Jason Bell. He is a St. Louisan and the Astros fundamentals coach, and they won the World Series, and a lot of it goes to the fundamentals. You look at some of the plays that they made. Uh, A guy like Kyle Tucker became a much better player he has over the last couple of years. He he obviously has a great deal of pride into helping develop Jeremy Pena. Uh, That's a pretty solid ball club. And maybe back next year. They are a very good team. And, you know, I I am – it's fun when guys get that opportunity to win and and experience just just being on the championship club, just being a part of that. Whatever role you have, every role is important. And and you know whether you're in the front office or whether you're in ticket sales or whatever your job is for that organization, it's fun to be a part of that. And and the the parade, Randy, you've been to a few, mm-hmm. I'm sure. It is just absolutely amazing to be a part of. Good for them. Good for the Houston Astros. And by the way, owned by a St. Louis and Luther North's Jim Crane. So congratulations to Jim as well. We're going to head down the stretch. T-Mac is back today. So we've got a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax. But I've got a fun little exercise for us coming up next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker. And yesterday, I think we were all stunned when the Colts hired Jeff Saturday. And it made me think about some of the bizarre coaching and managerial moves in the history of sports. And obviously, hitting close to home, Mike Matheny had no professional coaching or managerial experience when the Cardinals hired him as their manager. He was coaching a little league team here in St. Louis and actually wound up going to a World Series, managing the Cardinals to the 2013 World Series. So, CD, it's not like all of these seemingly bizarre hirings don't work. No, some of them work. But it still doesn't make it less bizarre no. or strange when you when you read about it or hear about it. It was strange that they fired Frank Reich. That was that mm-hmm. was the because when we when we read it, I said, "Oh, we need to talk about that tomorrow." And yeah. then 15, 20 minutes later, we're hiring <laughs> Jeff Saturday. Wait, what? What is going on? What, here? Is, what is happening here? Yeah. Some of the other bizarre ones when the Arizona at the time Phoenix Coyotes hired Wayne Gretzky as their head coach, and he had no previous coaching experience and wound up coaching for four years and was not good, did not do a good job <laughs> no. as their head coach. Sometimes it's like when Magic got hired by the Lakers, right? Sometimes it didn't work. No, you, you hire the superstar, the Hall of Fame player, and you think, well, He's going to be great because he was a Hall of Fame player. It doesn't always work that way. You know why that is? Because when you are that good as a player, everyone can't do or see what you were able to do or see as a player. And you become extremely frustrated. Like, it's the simplest thing. Do this. You're like, what? I can't do that. You you were the greatest point guard ever. You, that's why you can do that. I can't. One year, Joe Torrey's last year here as the Cardinals manager, he brought in Bob Gibson as his pitching coach. And one of the that pitchers, well. one of the pitchers asked Gibby, oh, no. "Hey, how do you throw your slider?" Gibby said, "Well, you just throw it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a good coaching job at all. That's rough. <laughs> you just throw you it. Just throw Love it, Gibby. But that's you just you're just not going to be able to get get by with that no. kind of stuff. It's I, it's honestly kind of an insane move, but 
I guess you you get the tendrils because of the, the the Indianapolis connection, but it's just a weird move. It's just yeah, it is. Matt Rule was a little bit weird, I think. Yeah. No, no. I mean, he had college experience, no head, no NFL experience. Then you got Cliff Kingsbury, who was also pretty interesting because he fired. got fired from his previous job and hired right away. Like you don't fire, you don't you don't hire a fired college head coach and make him the head coach of an NFL uh, program. And he had gone to USC as the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Now, yeah. another one of those is when the Raiders, they went to USC to hire Steve Sarkeesian as the offensive coordinator. Sarkeesian turned the job down, so they went to the quarterback coach, Lane Kiffin. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how about, how about we talked about this, he didn't get hired, but he was, he was in a finalist. He was going to get hired until everyone just blew up about it. Josh McCown for the Houston Texans last year. Yeah, that would have happened. He, that, was, that was on its way to happening. It was pretty much set in stone, and, and everyone lost their mind about him not having any experience or not even interviewing anyone else for the position. Yeah, and how a team, how, how can an ownership have that thought process? Oh, well, I really like this guy. I, I really got along with him when he was our quarterback, so I'm going to hire him as our head coach. Uh, it's about relationships. <laughs> it's not about how well you can do at a particular job. It is about your relationships with people. Two of the best, maybe the two best basketball coaches in ba- in history of the NBA were on championship teams or went on teams that went to championship games, but were low on the bench. Phil Jackson and Pat Riley. They were there. They understood what it was like to be around the greats, but they weren't to that level. And so they never had a Bob Gibson kind of moment. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's, it's, you can bring in players like that, but it's, it, there's got to be a... There's got to be a track record. There's got to be a, a moving up in the game. You can't just go from high school to NFL and expect those intangibles as a player to to transfer in no. the video room, in the coach's room, the exact same way. Steve Nash. That's I mean, perfect. He, he, he didn't last. I mean, he, he was a guy. He's a Hall of Famer. And that's who Kyrie and KD wanted. Yeah. That was their guy. Yeah. They did, well, they wanted him because they said they didn't need a head coach. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> that's why they wanted him. You know, another one that, that was bizarre, just because he's bizarre, I think, is Josh McDaniels. He signed mm-hmm. on to be the head coach for the Indianapolis coach for like a day or two. Yeah, and said, day. nah, I wonder if he knew about Andrew Luck, though. One of he had some. Well, Andrew no, Luck was. I, I think he. I think they sweetened the deal in New England. He probably thought Belichick was going to retire and yeah. he'd get that gig. Yeah, and Belichick is kind of a right. sneaky no. snake, yeah. kind of like that. I'm sure. Yeah, I've got a couple <laughs> of others for you. Uh, one, I'll give you in a moment because it's really crazy and it would have changed the fortunes here in St. Louis. But this is 1980, so it's not too long ago. Dan Devine leaves Notre Dame, and they hire a high school coach named Jerry Faust. At mm. Notre Dame, mm. they hired a high school coach, and Faust goes 5-6, and 6-4-1, six, six, then has a couple of 7-5s and fives and a 5-6. Five and six. They dump him and bring in Lou Holtz. Oh, it worked out for yeah, them. I think that's the last time I can remember that. Although I guess Baylor brought in Art Bryles, right? Yeah, but I think yeah. he had been an assistant. Auburn brought in a, um, I can't remember who Gus? it was. Was it Gus Malzahn? He had been their offensive coordinator, though. He was the OC, but yeah. he was he came from high, high school, school right. to become the yep. OC at, at, at Auburn. Right. And then here's the one that will, is kind of a punch to the gut if you're an old Big Red fan. After Don Coriel left, after the 1977 season, and he left late. I mean, he left after the new year, so it was 1978. And Bill Bidwill was notorious for wanting to be very secretive with his coaching hires. And 
he's going through the process. And one day in the old St. Louis Globe Democrat, there's a picture of Bill Walsh getting off of a plane in St. Louis <laughs> at Lambert Field. And would have been the guy. Yeah. Don't, don't but do this to me. Bill Bidwill didn't want anybody to know who he was going to hire. Mm. So Bill Walsh wound up not being the guy. And instead, he hired Bud Wilkinson, who had been the head coach at Oklahoma, was legendary at Oklahoma, never coached in the NFL and hadn't coached in 15 years, and wound up being one of the worst coaches ever in in the pros. Rather than Bill Walsh, because the media knew about it, he wanted to surprise everybody. And the headline in the paper the next day was, Bud Wilkinson? Question mark. That's what Bill Bidwill wanted, and that's why Bill Walsh never became the head coach of the St. Louis Cardinals. Before the show, you um, showed us a <laughs> clip from a Cardinals game, the, the famous yeah, the playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys with the phantom. It was a, it was regular season. Regular season game, excuse me, against the Cowboys with the phantom pass interference call. If you had to go back in time and you could get one Cardinals moment back, would it be Bill? Would it be hiring Bill Walsh, or would you just go to? Um, would, you, would you just go to maybe are, are there winning the playoffs moments? that year? There's a lot of moments. I'm telling you this: if that offensive pass interference call is not made against Roy Green. The football Cardinals are still here in St. Louis. They beat Dallas. They go to the playoffs in 84. And the perception of the Cardinals mm-hmm. in the community changes. And they, he gets a stadium built. So even though Bill Walsh would have been awesome, I don't know that Bidwell would have let him draft Joe Montana. Yeah, I do know that if that call isn't made against Roy Green... The Cardinals beat the Cowboys. They go to the playoffs. The community is enthused. They build a stadium and we never lose the franchise. That is... That is... And a tough pill to swallow. Here's another one, CD, and you'll appreciate this. It would have changed the entire scope of Jim Hannafin's career as a head coach. He wouldn't have been fired after 85 because he made the play. And by the way, Hanny said to his dying day, he thinks they would have gone to the Super Bowl in 84. He thinks they would have, because they they did always beat Chicago. He's right. They had the, the key to unlock how to beat the 46 defense at the time. And then he and Walsh were buddies, and he knew exactly what Bill Walsh was doing. He thinks they would have beat the 84-49ers and gone wow. to the Super Bowl. <laughs> okay, that's, you know what, like, it, for me, because I, I don't have the connection to the Big Red, for me, like, my what-if moment is, is still, I think, the the one that everyone tells me about, the er, meeting in the early 90s where they just completely fumble the bag on the expansion team. Yeah. That's the one that I think about more so than anything, but I, I got to think there's there's just – there's. A dozen before that moment, if you were there around the Big Red, and if you have the actual thought of the Cardinals in your head. Dave Butts died last week. If they keep Dave Butts, borderline Hall of Fame defensive tackle, Don Coriel probably goes to a Super Bowl if he has Dave Butts. But they didn't want to pay him, and he wound up getting traded to Washington, and the Rams or the Cardinals get two first-rounders and a second-rounder and get nothing out of those guys. It was not some, very well Some tough decisions, man. Yeah. Things that may not go well. You think you're doing the right thing in the moment. And not it so much. It wasn't. If if everything doesn't work out, let's say the everyone, let's say Demarco Farr and the, and, the, and everyone full on mutiny against Dick Vermeil and it doesn't work <laughs> out. How do we look at the move of bringing Dick Vermeil out of retirement in this kind of list? Oh yeah, then yeah, it's another bizarre one. It's another, it's, it's another right one right in the list, I think, because that one because again now it's all now we look at it now and like what what a what a crazy move, but it works out. It's like if that goes just completely belly up right out of the gate and with training camp the, with a fact, mutiny, yeah, the fact bad. that they did mutiny for three hour padded practice speaks <laughs> volumes to those men. Yeah. Those are those are some Tough men's guys. men, no doubt about it. <laughs> 
Uh, Jerry's over here like, I, I, I would have mutinied. Great oh, job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. Uh, CD, thank you. Thank you, sir. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, thanks to the number seven for bringing us this show to you today. Hopefully tomorrow is not brought to you by the number eight. Let's hope. Let's let's cross our fingers. Yeah. <laughs> we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.